With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the third annual of the Talking Snooker and Snooker Scene podcasts with Phil Haig, Nick Metcalf and Dave Hendon. And you know, Dave, I'll speak for me and Nick together that we're very pleased to have you on board for the third year on The Spin. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be here again. Um, yeah, I mean, sequels uh, traditionally get worse, don't they, in films? So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this goes. I should say, right at the start, before Nick speaks, it is Christmas. And uh, last week down at Eurosport, we did have a Christmas meal and we were given a cracker. OK, and the, I know this is not a visual service, but I'm going to wear I'm calling this my triple crown. OK, the, I'm holding a paper hat. I'm going to wear this. <laughs> it's my own triple crown. And, it, <laughs> and like the actual triple crown, it doesn't quite fit. What a start. And you know what, Phil, before you came on, Dave come up with a couple of funnies. And you know, if we get sort of, you know, maybe other guests, you'd say, oh, don't do the funny things before you start. But listen, with David, actually, don't worry about that. I know you'll be, and he's, listen, that's annoying. We normally don't like guests that are funnier than, than us, do we? But I suppose when, when, when we're all together, it, it's sort of okay at Christmas. Yeah, it's, um, it looks okay, Dave. Like the real Triple Crown, it's probably a little bit better than you think. <laughs> well, I don't think we want to spend two hours talking about that, do we, really? So, uh... de- de- definitely not, no. But it, genuinely, great to see you, see you both at Christmas. It is becoming a tradition. Let's say that the joke that Dave said before was, one of the few traditions left. And, of course, just to say that last year I did dedicate it to uh, the spirit of Val Dunican, who's an entertainer from a, a different era, let's say. Um, you, you may not have thought of anyone, Phil, but I'm thinking if you have, it's probably someone a little more contemporary, like sort of post-1987. Yeah, I, I didn't have anyone in mind, but yeah, I forgot. That's the first time I'd thought of Val Dunican since this time last year. Um, and that was the first time I ever thought about Val Dunican, I have to say. So yeah, and I hadn't got anyone in mind to to uh, pay tribute to this this year, really. Although there was a sad thing that I saw just before we came on air, and I was looking at 
um, the results from today's German Masters. And Dave, your great stat that I'd seen the other day, that Dominic Dale was the only player to have won some money in every ranking event this year. That's sadly fallen by the wayside just before Christmas. Well, so, much, pay much tribute like, to the Spaceman's record yeah. until now. Much like this paper hat, it's gone to his head, uh, obviously. No, his highest, <laughs> highest break was 17. I think, obviously, he must have hit a wall. Um, although, you know, some of these matches, I mean, I didn't see any of it. But, you know, sometimes you just don't get a look in. You know, you can't, it can happen. Um, I also think, though, this week, like, I don't like the fact the qualifiers are this week. I know they've got to fit them in somewhere, but no one wants to be playing, do they? <laughs> Nobody wants to be playing this week. It's like Christmas. They just had a big tournament. But I suppose you've got to get on with it. But yeah, Dominic will not be in uh, in Germany. No, exactly. And um, no, it was a great, great line actually. But bit of a Scrooge moment that it's ended, doesn't it? Just before the before we all get out, you know, uh, into the real Christmas spirit. Of course, with a big day coming up around about twenty fourth, twenty fifth, isn't it? Santa's big night normally. That hasn't changed, I don't think. That's that's another tradition that stays. But listen, no more nonsense for me. Let's move on to a brilliant email we've had in. Now, I have shared this on, on social media. It comes into us from uh, Lucy Denley. Now, you might want to play along at home with this. You might remember Dave had some pretty cheap... Was it cheap old wine? It was cheap old something, wasn't it? The first uh, time we yeah, did yeah. it. Well, 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 just to say an update on that, I've actually I'm, I've got now organic Malbec. I don't know what's really what, what difference that makes to normal Malbec. From Marks and Spencer. I didn't steal it. I actually paid for it. £8.50. <laughs> Thank you very much. So it's an upgrade. Yeah, the the, the first one we did, I, I, I liberated, shall we say, some wine from the Morningside Arena. And they're not known for their vineyards around that part of the world. So um, but it's, <laughs> it's, so far, I've only had a sip of this, but so far it is, it is it's nice. And, and we'll see how nice it gets as the evening draws on, maybe. <laughs> Brilliant. No, absolutely. Well... There may be quite a lot of chance to, to sip that, actually, because Lucy has done a brilliant thing. She, she writes to us and says, I was delighted to hear that you're joining with Dave Hendon for another Christmas special. Thanks in advance for bringing us what will undoubtedly be a festive treat. Well, time will tell, won't it, on that one? Um, I thought it might be fun for you to share the attached bingo card on social media in advance to the podcast drop so that fans can play along a drinking game or just to tick off as they listen. I'm definitely not encouraging excessive alcohol consumption. Neither am I judging those who do indulge. I'm very much looking forward to Phil and Dave getting into the Christmas spirit with the aid of a few drinks, and Nick remaining consistently hyper throughout the No Doubt feature-length podcast whilst remaining sober. Please be assured, even though some of these bingo items are tongue-in-cheek, Cheek, the whole thing has been put together with great affection for the three of you and the two podcasts. I love listening every week. Also, I'm definitely not asking you to read the whole thing out. Well, we have done. Merry Christmas to you, Lucy. We do appreciate it very much. And let's just go through the bingo card then. Audio service. So I think I didn't start it, but we'll give you a hello from me. That's that's a nice free one if you want. But let's let's start the game proper from there and say, here we go. Any mention of these that's coming up, please. Please feel free to drink. Or in my case, I've got some mince pies here. So maybe a, a bite of mince pie. And I know it's an audio service. <laughs> possibly the world's biggest ever Toblerone. I've just picked it up from Jay Sainsbury. Other supermarkets. We've had, that's Marks and Spencer and Jay Sainsbury in the first few. Other supermarkets are available. 
um, just pick that up. So uh, there'll be plenty, plenty of treats here as well. So you look like you might be about to drive to Dundee in your bare feet with that knocking around pick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, mention of the Tony Mio trophy. That's unlikely to come up, Phil. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Um, I'm not going to mention it, that's for sure. And it, <laughs> not this year's interruption due to technical difficulties. Now, that's a very strong chance, let's be clear. And that means us, doesn't it? Because Dave is, a, is more of a solo operator now. You haven't had an interruption since God was a boy, uh, Dave, but ours, um, are, uh, ours are quite regular. Well, it, it, it's only the voices in my head that stop me normally. Um, <laughs> which, okay. which in tonight's case is you two. So. <laughs> story, fe- story, story featuring Fergal O'Brien. That's more of a snooker scene thing, I think, isn't it? It's both, obviously. But he was, of course, someone that you, especially when you're with Michael, you, you never failed to mention. That and the mercantile, wasn't it, going back? Well, Fer- yeah, and Fergal uh, now, because he started commentating Eurosport. Um, and, uh, he, I mean, he got to commentate actually on Sean's 147, which he was very happy about. Um, but, yeah, yeah, but Fergal is, uh, you know, an absolute an absolute diamond, actually. He's one of the great snooker people, I think, Fergal. Well, I'm into that. And I know he's been on with you a couple of times. And obviously, you can look up that. He's on with us as well. And just great, great value. Such a, such a nice guy, beyond anything else. And obviously, a terrific snooker player. Chat about the Triple Crown. Well, Dave's already helped us out on that on that front. And we'll have to take a photo, won't we, in some way of, of Dave with his triple crown on before this is done. But um, uh, and it also counts if Dave refuses to chat about the triple crown. Well, that's out the window. Not only a refusal, straight in. Interruption by one of Phil's pets. Again, strong chance, let's be clear. Um, where are they now, Phil? That's the big question. Yeah, I think um, they'll be running past Barkley at some point. The cat will come and scratch something by my feet. It'll happen, I imagine. <laughs> One hour mark passed. Almost certain to happen. Um... Dreadful, and we should do something else for our time. And I think one of the best lines of the year, Dave, was your um, your line that this is a a pointless episode of a pointless podcast. And that was on your anniversary special. I mean, well, that, that was... I could say that any week, to be fair, but uh, yeah, so the, the, the quality's vari- variable, but you know, that's you know, we do our best. Uh, uh, bloody hell, which I think is probably more me, but it could be any of us, let's be clear. Miss Nick becomes Miss T.I. with nostalgia. I honestly thought I hid that, I hid, I hid that a bit better than than um, than, it, than is coming out there. One for the teenagers, that could be any of us, let's be clear. Um, email from a friend of either podcast. That's almost bound to come up. Well, of course, we call them strong acquaintances, don't we, Phil? If they um, regularly correspond. Friend, if they've been on. One and a half hour mark passed. And then goodbye-bye, which, of course, is almost certain to end. So any of those that come up, you can have a, a drink or, you know. So, if you, Dave, you were saying before that you hoped it was an evening record. So if you are listening in the morning and you don't fancy a morning drink, of course it is allowed, especially if you're going on a holiday. But if you don't fancy that, maybe just pause it, come back to it in the evening, eh? Yeah, and I should say, if you if people listen to this thinking this is just mindless blather, there there, there is coming up later a quiz, okay? There's a quiz that I've devised, and you know, this is going to be, I think, the big talking point of this podcast. It'll be coming up in probably about half an hour's time, uh, so stay tuned. If, if you're listening thinking this is just three people chatting amongst themselves, it is, because it's a podcast, and that's what they are. But there is a quiz, 
and I've tried <laughs> it myself. And it's I've t- I, I put it this way: I've tried it out already with a couple of a couple of people, and it went well. Mark Selby was in attendance; he seemed to enjoy it. So, just to say, if you if you're thinking of bailing, don't because that's coming up later. Well, that's proper broadcasting, <laughs> Phil. Shall we get serious just a moment and talk about the the Scottish Open the event we've just seen? And, and Gary Wilson, I mean, how can you countenance a guy never winning a ranking tournament and then winning the same one twice? I mean, it reminded me a little bit of when Ding got to the UK final. We didn't have that very satisfactory answer for why he did it. He must like the venue. Boy, must Gary like that venue. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Both years, out of nowhere, didn't really have much form to speak of. Turns up in Edinburgh, wins the thing. Um, and he didn't have any form, really, the first half of the tournament. He was, even by the time he got to the quarters, he was still saying how badly he was playing and Clearly, he wasn't playing that badly, but he was very down on himself. Um, but got better and better and better. And by the final, he was absolutely superb. Put in a great performance against Nopon to win the thing. And yeah, quite incredible, really. He went. He's gone from. You know, I remember him getting to the the British Open final when he lost to Mark Williams, and Stephen Hendry was punditing and uh, some in a, a ranking title. He said, "Not really. He doesn't think he didn't, he didn't necessarily think just because he's been in that final that one is round the corner. And now he's won two. Uh, both times lifting the Stephen Hendry trophy, uh, which is quite incredible, really. It's not a small competition, it's a significant one. So, yeah, amazing stuff. It's just the challenge all players have, really, is getting consistency now because uh, he's showing he can produce some serious, serious stuff, but then sort of disappear for a while. So uh, we'll see if he can keep it going more regularly. But, yeah, brilliant win. Dave, you must have loved commentating on that. I mean, it was, um, you know, the semi-final was something else, wasn't it? I have to say, I, I do think the talk about you know, frames ending where snookers are needed is very much more tongue-in-cheek than serious, uh, to be honest. I, I think it's been, the way I would describe it, is something to keep the conversation chugging along a bit. I mean, if Sean and Stephen were here, they may say, oh, no, we do think it's snooker needs to be speeded up. But I don't think in their heart they really probably recommend it. You, they might have a certain number, but, Dave, of course, if we didn't, if that did come in, we'd be robbed of what was amazing semi-final drama. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know how serious they were, but I think sometimes you hear suggestions which players often like to say they're making for the good of the game, but really they're trying to make it easier for themselves. You might as well take 10 reds off the table if you want to do that, you know. Oh, yeah, it's for the audience. No, it's because you don't like playing for snookers. And, of course, you don't have to play for them. Sean Murphy or anyone else could just stop playing for them if they want to. There's no, You're not forced to do it. Um, that was not Gary Wilson's attitude, clearly. I mean, Gary has actually got a reputation for playing on anyway. He was playing for six snookers. Um, and, 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 you know, so he's kind of used to trying to lay them. Um, it was incredible, really. It's just something meant to be about him in Edinburgh. I don't know what it is exactly. He's never lost a match there. He's won 13. Um, it would kind of make more sense if he'd won tournaments in between. He, he's had actually not a great year. He's dropped out of the top 16. Um, but good luck to him. You know, he's, <laughs> I mean, I've sort of done a bit of commentary with him at the Championship League. He's a sort of real sort of enthusiast for the game. You know, he's, he really loves it. Big practicer. You always see him on the practice table. Um, and now he's a multi uh, ranking event. There's only 41 players have won more than one. You know, it's not that many really. And yeah, I mean, I, I've already actually sent him a message congratulating him on winning it next year just to save time. You know, so uh, he's got that. <laughs> I did hear you in commentary say no one will bother entering next yeah. year. Which I was <laughs> yeah, I mean that that semi final really was remarkable. That was uh, I had plans to go out that, that evening. I was gradually getting later and later and later for them as I started to watch the end of that. Um, and I thought just the, the final black they had to pop um, because everything had been so mad before that. It, it, it 
it didn't quite get sort of put across how hard that part was. It was very much not a gimme after all that had gone before it. Um, but yeah, everything that he did there was just incredible. And uh, I felt for Joe, of course, you know, he got as far as giving the old fist bump, uh, fist pump, sorry. Um, and to fall away like that, he's had some painful defeats, hasn't he? Some close ones, some heavy, heavy losses, but um, yeah, I'm sure he'll come good eventually. But yeah, that was a, <laughs> he's not going to be having the best Christmas after that, I don't think. No, very much not. I mean, we spoke a little bit before we came on air, Dave, about these home nations. I mean, they are great deliverers of the goods, aren't they? And often in quite a bemusing way, as you were suggesting, because I find before the mist clear, it's like, wow, it's it's sort of so chaotic. There are so many things going on, which is good in a way as well. Good for our business anyway. And then come, kind of come Thursday, you tend to get that traditional thing of no matter how many big names have gone out, there are enough to keep it going, keep the whole sort of thread of it going. And then they usually end up being really strong, don't they? So it, it's kind of a format that I think overall is basically a big winner. Well, I think that's one of the good things about snooker at the moment. There's always a story. Whoever gets through, you know, look at Nop and Senkam. I mean, that would have been a wonderful thing if he'd have won. I think everybody would have loved that. But there's always a story. Gary winning again is a story. Obviously, if John Higgins had won it, that would have been a story. Zhou Yulong's chasing his first title. So that that's the great thing about snooker. You know, all these guys have got a narrative attached to them. Uh, the home nations, it's about sort of wading through all the matches and then you end up on that Friday, like you say, the mist's clear you can kind of concentrate on who's actually left in it. Sanderson Lamb, another one, you know, first quarter final. Um, and, it, you know, it always kind of ends up interesting. And um, I think that's true of all the home nations. In the middle, you can sort of get lost who's, you know, because quite often you're trying to work out what round you're even in. Because sometimes there's two rounds being played on the same day. Some people have to play twice the same day. And also, like, people were turning up, like, actually, Joe Yulong, because he had a walkover. He qualified. He got a walkover. So he played his first and second match on Thursday. So all these matches have been played, and he suddenly played his first match on day four and his second match on day four. But anyway, once you get to the quarters, it's always actually been good. The home nations, you know, I mean, the, the biggest figure Eurosport ever got, it was, it was on Quest as well, I think, but it was the actual, it was the Neil Robertson Chow Peng final uh, in Scotland six years ago now, I think. That, uh, they, they got over a million in the UK alone because it was on Quest and it was on Eurosport. That was the Scottish Open. Um, so they've always kind of been, you know, they, they can be hard to follow. And I made the point about uh, the ticket buyers found it hard to follow the schedule, who was playing when uh, in the middle of the week. That needs to be addressed. But yeah, they're always they always end up good, and it was good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right, Phil. And we're we're obviously you know generally big fans of them, aren't we? Really, I, I, I mean, the Scottish has actually got quite a long history. If you I mean, Dave, you'll probably be able to speak much much better than I will on this. On it's got a bit of a potted history in, in sort of different forms, but obviously the Welsh has got more of a sort of smooth history. But I tend to think the Scottish and English have been the sort of weaker relations for no other reason than Northern Ireland has done brilliantly. Actually, it's found a proper well, venue. Yeah, I think now that the Scottish is going to be in Edinburgh. I mean, Jimmy said it'd be there the next five years. I mean, where he's got, I don't know where Jimmy's got that from, but if that's true, <laughs> then it's got a venue. It's a good venue. It's in a great city. That's good. It'll have an identity. The Belf- Obviously, Belfast at the waterfront has an identity. The Welsh, like you say, because it's established anyway. The English is is the poor relation in some ways, I think. Um, but yeah, it, listen, they're, they're, all, they're all good events, aren't they? Yeah, they're brilliant. They really are. And um, yeah, I think the English is... I'd love it to find more, more of an established home. Much harder in England, of course, as we said many times on here, you know, because there's so many tournaments in England. But 
yeah, no, it's been a and it's been a smashing season so far. And perhaps we'll go through some of the events of the year shortly. But we're going to take a bit of correspondence as we go, if that's okay. And I quite like Brian Campbell here, friend of the podcast. You would say, Dave. We mm. would say, strong acquaintance. So does that count as, as part of the bingo card? I don't know. It could do. Um, put it this way: I'm on the verge of getting the Toblerone open. <laughs> but anyway, he he says here, dear Dave, Nick, and Phil. Dallas style here, starring in alphabetical order. Well, that's one for the teenagers. Yeah. So that's definitely... Um, well, of course, King. John Higgins, John Higgins, who I'm watching now on Discovery Plus, he's playing Daniel Wells in the German qualifying. He did Dallas on Celebrity Mastermind as his specialist subject. He did, he did. And he did really well on that. We said that when he joined us, actually. He, end, he beat, I'll tell you who he beat, I think by a point. Overall, Michael Howard. Michael Howard. Yeah, former, former <laughs> Conservative Party leader. So, you know, that's that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Anyway, can, yeah. sorry, I interrupted the, the email. And I rather rudely interrupted it. You, you say Michael Howard, really, because, of course, we did actually ask him about that, Phil. Do you remember? He made a joke saying that, um, oh, he, he, he spoke to him about Scottish independence. But then, then he was a gentleman, and I think they talked a bit about football. But, yeah, John did really well on that. And, yeah, he was a big, big Dallas man. So... <laughs> Brian Campbell here says, following on from Lucy Denley's excellent bingo card, which we brought you, you earlier, what other sayings can you think of which crop up frequently in the snooker community? Obviously, we'll be here until Michaelmas if we do them all. But Brian's got a few here. I, I do identify with Nick's love of gravitas as someone who turned 50 this year and the references of yesteryear, which are one for the teenagers. Thankfully, I've never had a situation where I'm not saying the podcast stream is slow but I'm picking it up on Atlantic 252. Well, that's one of my gags um, a little while ago. Thank you for that, Brian. Now, when Dave is about to uh, tackle a serious issue, uh, he may say, now, here's the thing, OK, which I think is fair to say, Dave. When Brian said that, I thought, oh, that does chime. You know, a lot of banter, might be snooker player bingo. You might be telling us all to switch off. But when you turn into your, now, here's the thing, OK, mode we know that's time to get a little bit closer to the old wireless or the phone uh, it's an Im- important message on the way so i like that dennis taylor of course with his ddk dreaded double kiss mark selby escaping from a tricky snooker and dennis will say that's why i call him Satnav selby of course john virgo where's the cue ball going is there a gap there's always a gap jimmy white with make no mistake i mean you know, you know jimmy well is that a jimmyism Dave, I think it probably is. Make no mistake when when he's emphasising a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does say that. Yeah, but I think to be fair, I think it's true in in normal life. Like we all have our our, our sort of sayings, don't we? You know, and we don't always know we're saying them. I think um, I dread to think what what things I'd say listening back. <laughs> well, I like some of the things I say. But the number of times I just say, you know, you know, you know, it's awful. You know. Um, anyway. Um, Despite, but listen, Brian, it feels like he's ticking you off here, Phil, but I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, to be honest. But he says, conspicuous by our absence here is our own Phil Haig. Despite countless hours of listening to Talking Snooker, I haven't picked up any phrases that Phil uses. Finally, may I thank you all for your hard work in providing such excellent, interesting podcasts. You really do provide fantastic listening company for me and countless effort others, and your efforts are truly appreciated. Merry Christmas, best wishes for 2024, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Now, Phil, only one thing left for you. You've got to get yourself a phrase. 
Well, yeah, I, I thought the same as you. I couldn't tell whether that was like a negative from my the way I speak or a positive. Um, I don't really want to just invent myself a catchphrase. Um, it's like <laughs> someone giving themselves a nickname. It's pretty, it's pretty lovely. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, uh, now, uh, well, I'll see. Maybe I'll just uh, keep listening closely and see if anything crops up. Because there must be some things I say, repeat myself. You know, like Dave says, everyone's got their own little things that they don't even know they're doing. So there must be something I do. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'm not going to resort to making myself up a catchphrase just yet, though. <laughs> um, that, that's really sort of, that's... Uh, you know, that's plan Z. <laughs> Phil, do you want to sort of start meandering this through the snooker year? I mean, I always think the funny thing is the Masters, because that's obviously coming up. It feels so long ago now, doesn't it? It's almost like, can that really be in this same year? But of course, it threw up a, a great tournament, as it always does. Yeah, crazy to think. Um, I actually looked back and sort of went back chronologically through all my Metro articles and looked at the first article I wrote for the year, and it's quite a sad thing, really, because it was Zhao Zintong becoming the latest player to be suspended as part of the match-fixing investigation. And really what a dark time that was. I remember that coming through because I was on the phone to Sean Murphy doing an interview for him ahead of the Masters, and it popped up on my laptop, and I told him the news, and he said, oh, I'm going to be sick, I feel sick. Because um, Zintong really felt like as bad a one as there could have been for it uh, to be involved in that. But, um, yeah, sort of dark way to start it, really. But that was the situation we were in at the start of the year, wasn't it? Um, and Jan and Jao were meant to be playing in the Masters, so we got other players coming in. Dave Gilbert coming in, one of the replacements, remember. Um, and the Masters was starting all under a pretty bleak cloud. But as it always does, it was an amazing tournament. Um, shocks. I, I had a look at a, a couple of articles about people making predictions and the only two that anyone was tipping really were Ronnie and Robertson, and they were both gone before the the semis. So um, it was slightly unpredictable, uh, Masters. Although you know, looking back now, Judd Trump winning it doesn't sound that unlikely, does it? But no one was tipping him beforehand, and actually, while we were watching him play during it, n- not that many were thinking he was going to win it either because he he wasn't playing his best stuff, but um, did brilliantly to get over the line. That's it, Dave. I mean, the weird thing is, Judd has actually played an awful lot better in tournaments and not won them. That's just part of the vagaries of this sport. He, he wasn't actually that brilliant that week, but he knuckled down and won those crucial frames when he needed to, eh? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think this kind of, the, the Masters win is part of kind of the, the way, the unfair way I think Trump is discussed by a lot of people. When he was winning tournament after tournament, you know, sort of week in, week out, people were saying, okay, yeah, but you've got to win triple crown events. Last season, he won a triple crown event and people said, well, you didn't play well to win it, did you? And you, you haven't won anything. Else. You can't really win even when you do win. The fact, oh, if, yeah. if you go back through the history of the Masters, there's a lot of people won that who didn't actually play that great, but they won. They they played better than the other guy, which is all you've got to do. And he showed terrific battling qualities. by Mark Williams, who is one of the most unflappable players and one of the great match players. He can tough out any sort of win in any sort of standard. And he, he beat Mark over, over two sessions in front of that huge crowd. I thought it was a great achievement, actually, to win not playing at his best. Yeah. Um, Mark Williams, by the way, played the shot of the tournament. That long ready floated in against Ronnie and the decider was unbelievable. But for Judd to win that, you know, people said, well, you've got to win more of the majors. Well, he won it. And that's that's a fact. That's He's on the trophy. That's it. You know, people couldn't talk about his performance all they like. He won it. Um, and I think he deserves credit for finding a way to win, 
you know, not playing the sort of dazzling, the dazzling way that he's sort of played certainly this season. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Ultimately, yeah, <laughs> your name's on the trophy. We can all think of people in the history of sport, can't we? You know, Phil, you know, football teams, oh, you didn't play well to, you know, to win that tournament. You were lucky you got last minute goals. Well, they won't care about that in 10 years' time, 15, 20 years' time. And especially when people are looking back at the record books, they didn't see it. They'll see the name of the winner there. And I think it was Ryan Day that, you know, had, had big chances to beat him earlier. But as you say, you know, he, 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 he knuckled down. And I think maybe an earlier version of Judd might not have done that. But that, that comes with experience. And that's the, you know, the mature player we see today type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there really aren't any points for style, are there? Like, unless you do it in absolutely incredible style, you know, we always talk about the way John Higgins won that player championship where he barely dropped a frame and was smashing everyone. Yeah, that gets brought up. But, um, and obviously there's other examples of that, but usually it's just who the winner is. It doesn't matter how you get there. Yeah. And yeah, like, um, like Dave says, he deserves a lot of credit because we often say, um, it's about winning when you're not playing well. Um, so you can't be criticised for winning when you're not playing well when that's what gets talked up all the time. And yeah, he certainly, he wasn't at his best early on. But yeah, I, I went down for that final actually and I was sat in for the first uh, session, afternoon session. And uh, yeah, he was playing well by then. Mark Williams was playing brilliant stuff. Um, and there's actually been a few tournaments where Mark Williams arguably was playing the best stuff of, over a tournament, but didn't come away with the title. So you know which way you'd rather have it, wouldn't you? You'd rather be walking away with the silverware than the people on podcasts and stuff saying, yeah, but I think he played the best over the tournament. Yeah, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> you want the trophy, and that's what Trump got. The thing is, though, that the next week, he then lost a final he should have won, the, the World mm-hmm. Grand Prix. Uh, he missed a yellow in the decide against Mark Allen, which he said was too easy. Which I don't, I don't understand what that means. I mean, you know, <laughs> I missed it because it's too easy. Um, he should have won that, and that's that's kind of the other side of it. Like it's, it, it's such a sort of strange game snooker because he was on a high. Obviously, won the Masters, mm. going to the next event. Or it's not quite a free roll, but you kind of if you lose first round, no one cares because you've won a tournament. He got to the final. He was playing the better of the two, I think. And then didn't win it, and it kind of it made no sense. But that's, I suppose, that's kind of that's how snooker is in some ways. And then that I think set him back a little bit because then he didn't really do anything else all season. Obviously, lost first round at the Crucible eventually. Um, so yeah, he sort of he, he looked like he might have his spell that actually he had later in the year. Obviously, this season, oh, he's suddenly going to start winning back to back to back again. And then he didn't. Um, but that's you know. That snooker. <laughs> just to remind, just to remind everyone, the quiz is coming. Do stick with this. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sort of I don't know if it, the standard wasn't always the well, it sort of was good, but that was quite a classic final. That ten nine Allen against mm. Judd. Um, I think Allen got a one four one. Judd got a one forty. Well, Coming back from seven two down to decider. So it's sort of it feels like it should be a classic final, but I don't remember thinking at the time that that was a classic final, but I don't know, well, that's just my mind. Here's, here's the thing about that. I think I'm right in saying this. That was the only final this year to go to a decider. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we do feel a bit short-changed, but I, what I was going to say was, was that the tournament where Alan was getting a lot of stick for supposedly being slower? Yeah, the yeah, game against Lasowski was sort of that, that free ball shenanigans as well. Yeah, it? well, I think... I think he did slow down, but of course he won. That's that's the sort of sliding doors thing about that final. I say Trump probably should have won it. Maybe if Mark Allen had lost it, he would have actually maybe reverted a little bit to how he's played this season, which is more positive, certainly. But because he won it, he thought, okay, 
this is how you win tournaments now. And of course, he, he actually didn't win another one the rest of the season. He tried to outgrind Selby at the Crucible, which I'm sure we'll come on to. And ultimately, it didn't kind of work the rest of the season. But because he won the tournament, you couldn't argue with the way he played. Um, it's it's funny. I, I, like he, He's definitely played differently this season. I think he's gone back to being more positive. Um, but he was winning tournaments. So again, like with Trump at the Masters, you know, ultimately you come away with the trophy. What can anyone say? You know? Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. This season, we'll get to that later. But yeah, certainly um, the champion champions. I thought he was he was and then to win a shootout. You can't not be playing positively there. I'd say. And talking of that, that was the one that followed it. Um, followed the Grand Prix last January. Um, I mean, when I looked at that earlier, the, the four things that I wrote down. Obviously, Wakelin winning, Boom Zhang stand out, um, Ken dancing, <laughs> generally. <laughs> I mean, it's cheap laughs, really, but I must have watched that 15 times. Really cracked me up. And I just remember Julian Leclerc uh, being a bit of a star of the show, wasn't he, that that edition of the event. Um, That's why um, a tournament like that can be so good. You know, very few people will see Julian Leclerc play, and he played brilliantly that week. Um, Didn't really get a shot in the final, but um, still uh, a great experience for him. So they were the four things that stood out to me from that shootout. Yeah, Wakelin joined us on here, of course. Friend of the podcast. So if you get your bingo cards out, I feel like bingo card feels a little bit under undersold so far. We're, we're doing quite well to avoid the cliches. That won't last, hopefully. But um, no, I mean, <laughs> the shoot... It, Dave, does the shootout throw up different challenges for commentary, I, I wonder, because it's that kind of um, the nature of the format, or is it is it sort of business as usual? Cause, you know, you you still got your, your basics you do along the way. It, it, well, what's different about it is you talk all the time. Um, I mean, some people would argue there's too much talking in normal snooker, but you can't be silent at all because there's there's always something happening. It's obviously only 10 minutes. Um, and, yeah, it, it is different. It, obviously, the, the, you have to be so alert to the sort of tactics as well. Um, what you notice is, like, it, it, so often in a, in a sort of normal frame, it's about getting the reds open, getting the balls into play. Actually, they dodge doing that in the shootout. They want to get, like, 40 in front. And because you don't want to take the risk of knocking, you know, off the blue, knocking a red in or something. So they sort of pick them off, they get a lead and then they try and protect the lead. Um, yeah, it, it, it's different. I commentated on the, the, the Chris Wakelin's the last frame where he made the highest break. And it was a wonderful break that was, you know, that was, you could argue that was the biggest frame he's ever played. You know, people sort of dismiss the shootout, but that has definitely transformed his career. The, the money was massive, obviously, 50000 a lot of money to a mid-ranked player. He got the rankings boost. He got into the champion of champions. He got into, you know, the players' championship he was in soon after. Um, and he's he's taken that confidence forward. He's been in the final this season. He's climbing the rankings. He's not far off the top 16. So it was a bit different when Mark Allen won it because, obviously, he's an established winner. He's already top four in the world. But for someone like Chris, it was massive. And, obviously, to make the, the high break in the last frame with all that hoopla going on and the yellow and all that stuff, was brilliant. One of the you know, one of the great breaks of the year, actually. You know, to, because it meant so much. And yeah, good luck to him. I heard, I heard your interview with him. You know, he's a good guy, Chris. Good talker, quite a thoughtful character, and he's really on the rise now. And that's good to see. Dave, I tell you, what... character is right. Actually, I think he's one of those guys, and you get quite a few of these in Stuka, which is good. They don't just answer in complete cliches. Mm. You know, you'll answer, you'll ask him a question, and you'll see him actually thinking about what he wants to say about it without just saying something that he thinks people generally say about it. And yeah. I think, as I say, you get quite a lot of those guys in secret, which is great, and Chris is a really good example of that. 
I feel a bit bad for jumping around a bit, but I don't think there's any you know particular format or, or any particular crime in that. And we have a bit of correspondence actually from Phil Spivey about the Sean Murphy one four seven and the recent shootout. We had of course two editions of that in in twenty three, and I'd. I mean, we sort of said what we think here, here, Dave. It's obviously a nuanced one. People have different views, don't they, um, about whether, you know, how significant it is. Neil Robertson calls it a circus. You know, some people, I don't know, just say it should be a separate thing. But obviously, it's still an amazing thing to do. So uh, I'd be interested to hear your sort, your sort of take on that, because it was, it was something so different, wasn't it? Well, firstly, why did Neil Robertson have to get involved? He wasn't playing in the tournament. It was nothing to do with him. I don't know why he had to sort of, from afar, sort of take pot shots at it. I thought it was a great achievement against the clock. No one else has had to do it against the clock. Um, I mean, he did it actually quite comfortably against the clock in the end, but no one else has had to do it in that environment. People shouting stuff out, including don't bottle it now and all that stuff. You know, that just wouldn't happen in, (laughs) in, in a normal tournament. Um, I think, though, Sean, I was thinking about this, Sean is probably the perfect person to make that break because he really embraces the atmosphere. He likes, actually, that that atmosphere. He would accept that all that's going on around it. And and also, he's just a fantastic player, obviously. You know, I mean, he's made so many maximums already. Um, yeah, it's a unique break, isn't it? You know, it, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure you can really rank maximums necessarily. They're all good. They're all distinct and that they all have a place. I mean, Selby made one in the world final. You know, it was unbelievable in, in itself. But that's yeah. u- that's unique because he's yeah. done under a different form of the game, highly pressurised, sort of different atmosphere. And I don't really, you know, if you want to call it a circus, fine. But, you know, actually making a maximum in a circus is not easy, is it? it Maybe it's easier if everyone's quiet and there's no <laughs> there's no one on a trampoline or, or throwing things up in the air or breathing fire. You know, maybe it's easier if it's everyone's behaved so yeah I thought it was great I thought it was great yeah exactly well Phil also does actually talk about um shot great shots to keep one four sevens going talks about Ronnie's final red against Ding in the 2014 Welsh Open final <laughs> Selby's treble I've forgotten that treble on the red that was absolutely brilliant in the British Open Sean O'Sullivan's thin cut 15th black with the extended rest in the European Masters qualifiers and uh he Phil's asking what um you know, we, we and other others, our listeners maybe as well think. One that comes to my mind, a bit of a cliche, I know, but Cliff Thorburn's yellow, uh, long, long yellow and, you know, tough old shot. Not an absolutely horrible shot, but a very good shot in an era where hardly any maximums were made. The first at the Crucible. So for context, that's one I'd go for. But um, I don't know if any of you come to your mind, Dave. Well, well, I, I say this with all with all humility, obviously, but um, I actually had an idea which Will Snooker did last year, which is the the best shot on each colour in a maximum. So they had Cliff's yellow, they had Kirk Stevens green going all around the table. Uh, we found a brown from I'm going to have to get this right. I think it was Mark Selby. Um, Stephen Hendry's blue in the, his ninety five maximum where he had to cannon the pink. Uh, Steve Davis with the, the pink in the first maximum with the rest off the side cushion. And then Mark Selby, the black for the hundredth maximum into the middle pocket. Um, but they're just shots, you know, we picked out There's others as well, but that is, that's out there in the ether somewhere, um, as, as a little video. Um, there, you're right that there's normally at least one big shot there one remembers. I mean, the treble, I'll commentate on that and yeah. Steve, with Stephen Hendry and, and he, Understandably, he said, "Oh, Mark, because he, he was out of position. Basically, the break was over, and he said, oh, he's, he, the only thing he's got is a double.' 
And he turned, turned that actually, no, it was a treble, which is an unbelievable shot to play in any frame, let alone on, on a 147. That's That's got to be one of the best shots ever in a, in a maximum. Got to be. Yeah. It played in any circumstance before. The only time I've ever seen that is when someone's fluked one against me playing pool or something. <laughs> I've never seen an intentional treble in any circumstance. So just to work out those angles is... Never going to practice playing trebles on your practice table, are you? So yeah, for me that um, that's as good as a shot in any circumstance. Never mind uh, keeping a one four seven alive. Dave's much trailed quiz is coming soon, folks. But where are we up to in the year, Phil? Are we are we up to Ali Carter's win yet? Yeah, must be around that yeah, time. The German Masters February time. So yeah, that I mean that was um, an odd tournament in a way because so many of the big names fell out in qualifying, didn't they? So we had quite an odd looking field going to Berlin. But obviously, so well supported as always. Great atmosphere there. Um, Jimmy White in the last 16. That was a memorable oh. time. Um, Jack Lasowski, the only top six. And that was as people getting very excited about maybe Jack getting his first ranker. Uh, he, he missed out and he decided Tom Ford. And then Ali Carter beating Tom Ford pretty comfortably in the final. But yeah, was and wasn't in it in the main stages. But um, it's always good, even on for- it's a unique place, isn't it? You know, we're flirting with the interruption. With the, yeah. I think we're losing you slightly. For so, if you want to count that for your bingo card, you, I may be you may be losing me at times. I don't know because I'm not the one listening to me. But we, we are losing you a little bit there. But 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 listen, that counts. So I've got a bit of a mince pie. Drink away. Sorry, Dave. Carry on. Well, no. Three things about the German Masters. One, you mentioned Jimmy. Um, he played. I can't remember which match. Well, it would have been the last thirty-two match. The one he won. And I was asked to commentate on it on Discovery Plus. They thought, oh, there'll be an audience for Jimmy. We'll put commentary on it on table two. And so and I was on my own. So I thought, I'll ask for sort of tweets from people. Have you got any memories of meeting Jimmy or anything about Jimmy? And honestly, I had so many. It just shows you the impact he's had on snooker fans over the decades. There's so much love for Jimmy and memories of people. Because he's a people person, Jimmy. He'll speak to anybody. So many stories. I met him at this exhibition. I met him at this tournament. He was lovely to me. I had a picture with him, all that stuff. But that was really wonderful to hear. Second would be Jack Lazowski. He should have won that semi-final. That was his big chance to get to a final and possibly... We'll never know. He would have got on in the final. But he should have won that semi-final. And the third is Ali Carter, won it. Now, he had the high break in the shootout until Chris Wakelin's last frame. Oh, yeah. And he said, I was watching it, and he sort of he sort of nodded at the telly. He said, OK... That's happened in this one. The next tournament's mine. And the next tournament was the German Masters. He went and won it, which says a lot about him, actually. You know, he's a tough sort of character, combative. He's turned a sort of negative there into... He's taken that with him. He's, like, put it in his suitcase, gone to Berlin. He's got this sort of thing, right, you've taken that from me. I'm taking the next one. And, and of course, he did. So, fair play. Bloody hell. I think my memory's quite good until I have Dave Hendon with us. He remembers absolutely everything about the year, doesn't he? Yeah, that was great, though. I mean, I said it so many times. If he's a Marmite figure, I'm in the like camp, and I always will. I always will be, because just just his determination is is absolutely inspiring. Yeah, I mean, he's a fascinating player to watch. Just uh, there's not too many more interesting players to watch when they're not at the table. The intensity he has, like burning off his face at all times, <laughs> is quite something to see. And yeah, amazing player. Um, and that was a great win because 10-3 uh, against anyone in a final. I know Tom Ford doesn't get to too many big finals, but um, that was a resounding victory for him there. Exactly. 
And maybe, maybe someone else chucked in the late bingo card uh, entry, Phil, which was um, not part of the official bingo card. Maybe we can, we, you know, we can change the rules. There are no rules, really. A, a podcast check. So maybe we should say at this stage that you are listening to a joint snooker podcast Christmas special, Snooker Scene and Talking Snooker, once again joining forces for the festive season with David Hendon, Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Dave, your quiz must be coming soon. We, we... Well, I thought we'd do it after the World Championship chat. I thought. Oh, very good. Where are we on the Where are we on the year for bloody hell? I mean, how many tears were shed that night? Robert Milkins won. I mm-hmm. mean, that was mm-hmm. that was proper emotion, wasn't it? I have to say, I know we, I know we can be soppy sentimentalists, us snooker pundits and watchers, but that was something special, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, what an amazing story Robert Milkins has been over the last two or three years. Um, real lows, real highs. Um, and just it was also unpredictable, wasn't it? You know, he, uh, to see him in the world's top 16 uh, when it didn't look like that was going to happen at this stage of the career, especially after what happens in Turkey um, and the Welsh Open. You know, Gibraltar was an amazing thing to happen for him over there, but uh, the Welsh was a much bigger event, wasn't it? And to beat Sean Murphy in the final the way he did. Um, I look back at that and I'd, I'd forgotten that he... He made a high break of 66 in that final, beating Murphy 9-7, which is quite remarkable, really, isn't it? Um, but he was playing well over the week. Um, but, yeah, it was it was very emotional, wasn't it? Um, he, I think you, you don't hear too many bad words about Rob Milkins. Uh, he's a very likeable, down-to-earth character, uh, and everyone was delighted for him, I think. Uh, so, yeah, fascinating to see, because Murphy was... Uh, Murphy was playing so well, and he continued to play much well. We'll get to that, what he did the rest of the season. Um but yeah, just a fabulous win for the Milkman. I think Milkins, you know, some players, maybe you meet them and, and you think, oh, I didn't expect them to be like that. I think if you met Rob, you'd probably say, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what I was expecting. He's quite an uncomplicated character. He's a sort of proper old snooker player. You know, he likes a drink. He likes a bit of a bet. He, you know, he's a proper sort of old school character, really, but a great player. And he's found this this form uh, late on in his career, but it was under such pressure there because obviously the 150,000 bonus was up for grabs. Um, that was also the start of Sean's real purple patch, Sean Murphy. I mean, there was one match he played where he had a, a 145 and a 147 in successive frames in that in that tournament. He was playing unbelievable snook and went on to win the, the players in the tour championship just after. Um, but yeah, it just kind of met another sort of meant to be moment, really. You know, it was kind of, and, and you could see people wanted it for him as well. I think, I think the sort of snooker public. Are actually quite fair, you know. They 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 they, they, they don't like bad behaviour, but they like people coming back from doing things maybe they shouldn't have done. And, and Rob bounced back from what happened in Turkey, won in Gibraltar, and then he won that as well. And uh, you know, good luck to him. He's fantastic when he gets into his stride. He looks as good as anybody because he's got that sort of way of playing, like he just see ball pop ball sort of way of playing, which everyone would love to play like that. If you played snooker, you think oh, I would love to be able to play with that sort of ease. And of course, you can't do it all the time. But when he does it, he's just phenomenal. Well, that's what yeah, we feel. Brazil esque, isn't it? When he's at his very best, mm. Brazil and the Milkman, similar styles. Mm. Well, I was going to say we see a bit of that in the Tony Mio Trophy. That's one for the bingo card. <laughs> it had to come up eventually. Sorry about that. That's the right time to do it. I felt. And um, but no, seriously. I mean, you talk about stories, Dave, and how we're spoiled. Two things come to mind. First of all, how many players have now had those late career moments, which I think is brilliant. Anthony Hamilton famously had one. 
we have Mark King, who was yeah, late late career moment. You know, Milkins now, and also the other thing that comes to mind is sometimes it's not just about venues and the way tournaments are organised, although that is crucial. It's just certain tournaments have great moments, and that all helps with the narrative as well. I mean, the Welsh, we've had Joe Perry and Robert Milkins, haven't we, lately? And Jordan Brown, that was one he won when you were there, Phil, in the COVID era. So again, and Northern Ireland's the same. I'm not saying the English and Scottish haven't had good lines, they have, but it just seems, again, those two are the ones that are producing the really great moments. You know, time and time again, we see Mark Allen winning in Belfast, how special that was, and... Again, it might sound obvious, but you need these these tournaments need these great moments. There's something about the Welsh, even though it's moved now, whichever venue it is, it produces another great moment. And you're right, Dave, he's such a, a likeable guy, Rob Milk. He's absolutely uncomplicated. And, you know, he's had his sadnesses in life and more than his fair share, actually. So, you know, the fact that he he's producing, you know, it's one of those, Phil, where you just think, like a lot of these wins, really, Nobody's disappointed. No, nobody's. Everyone you can see it on social media. Everyone is just so delighted. It warms the whole snooker community type thing. Yeah, for sure. And the whole turkey thing. Like I could see why it went sort of quite big. It was a story that was always would always get headlines. But I think like Dave said, people were fair about it. You know, it was not um, crime of the century. I think a lot of people could relate with. I've got had a few too more, few too many drinks by accident here. Um, uh, made a bit of a fool of myself. Um, you know, I certainly have been in that situation, and but I'm fortunate enough not to see it on uh, headlines or being spoken about on the radio or anything. So, um, you know, I, I felt really bad for him there. He had to pay quite a heavy fine. So to to come straight back and do so well off the back of that. You know, it was really fantastic to see. Um, and I felt uh, really good for him. Um, yeah, because also, like you said, he's been through so much um, away from Stuka and away from all that. So, yeah. And he's, you know, he's he's not carried on, uh, you know, picking up loads of trophies since then. But he has, he has continued to do well, pick up some really good wins, beat some really good players ever since then. So it's not just been a complete flash in the pan. Um, and, yeah, there's no reason why he won't keep it up, uh, competing at the very top of the game for a while yet. Um, but I guess we'll move on. Players champs last season. Um, Sean Murphy, unbelievable, I think, in that tournament. Um, he beat, who did he beat early on? One second. Uh, he beat Carter in the final, didn't he? 10 4 in the final, five centuries in the final. And on the way there, he beat Selby 6 3, Ryan Day 6 0, Kyron 6 3, and then 10 4 in the final. That's a resounding tournament success, isn't it? Well, I think he had 11 centuries. Um, it's only four matches he's won. So, yeah, he 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 played well in Wales, like I say, the, the, you know, the maximum and the one four five. But then he sort of carried that forward and just was outstanding there. He won the Tour Championship as well. This happens a lot, I think, now. Players have their, it's almost like a sort of month where they're just a golden. And it's very hard to play like that the whole year. But for that time, they're the sort of person to beat. I mean, Zhang Ander, you could argue, like recently has had that as well. Obviously, Trump this season, Mark Allen. And that was Sean's time. Um, and then, of course, everyone's saying, well, going to the Crucible, oh, you know, he's the one one to stop. But the Crucible is just completely different. He lost first round. But yeah, he was brilliant in that tournament. Um, and, and it's a bit of a shame. Like, we've left Wolverhampton now. It, it ended up getting good there. The, cr- the crowds were good. They're very passionate in the West Midlands. It's actually a good arena. Um, but it's now going to Telford. So <laughs> so they've got to almost start over again in another venue. But um no, but his performance was 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 sensational actually. He just he looked from very early on almost like the only winner. And bear in mind there were a lot of top players in that event, obviously. He kind of was a long way ahead of them actually, um, just for that week. 
That's a nice way of saying it. I feel like I'm a little bit probably more into the bingo card than I should be. But um, Dave, you're so right about the players that hit form. And it's almost like, I mean, you take the wins when you, when you, when you, when you get them, you know, and I know you'll, will be a big one for saying, you know, you're not a big fan of ranking tournaments and it's a very fair point you make. They've all got their value. They're all important to win. The, the treble we saw from Judd is brilliant. But in a way, Sean timed that really well, didn't he? Because he won the Tour Championship, which is massive. The players is big in itself. So, I mean, you know, you, you, you know, they, they like to be good all the time. But strike one of your irons while your iron's hot. But one thing that, of course, we did say, Phil, is the only issue would be the Tour Championship, when you, you think about your World Championship chances, that in a funny sort of superstitious way, that one might turn against you because it's so hard to win that following those. And that's a sort of funny way of saying it. But it, Sean was brilliant. He, it was absolutely unstoppable. It was almost that triumvirate thing, wasn't it? Milkins, Carter, Murphy, they were all sort of doing well in tournaments. They all kept, sort of kept popping up. In, that's what I liked about that sort of late winter, early spring thing. Those were the guys playing well. And they weren't just doing it one week. They were doing it week after week type thing. That was the that was the whole era of Sean Murphy's game trending in the right direction. Uh, <laughs> it certainly was. Um, the sort of wild card in that bit was the WST Classic, which was sort of thrown in, wasn't it? Cause oh yeah, Turkey got cancelled, um, and then that was a that was sort of one of the darker few days of where you know we'd had a lot of people complain about very few tournaments, and then that got cancelled. Uh, Turkey got cancelled, and that's when players were really sort of down in the dumps. But then uh, fair play to Will Sinker for putting the classic on. And then that was a real sort of uh, free-for-all, really. Some all sorts of results going on there. That's when another great run for Jimmy beat uh, Dart. Uh, he ended up beating Trump, didn't he? But I think he did beat Dart and Perry before that. Uh, amazing stuff. Uh, but all sorts of uh, people having good runs there you wouldn't necessarily expect. But Mark Selby coming out on top, which you would expect. Um, you know, uh, throw, everyone thrown into a chaotic new tournament. We didn't know what was going to come out of it. But Mark Selby was the winner. So, uh, yeah, no great surprises there. But then, yeah, more Murphy at the Tour Championship, wasn't it? Um, it's it's strange, yeah. It, it feels like the perfect warm-up for the World Championship, doesn't it? Long long games against top players. But there is something that's building about you don't necessarily want to win that thing to have a good <laughs> chance at, at Sheffield. Um, but, yeah, Murphy was great again, though. Beat Milken, Selby and Kyron, all in pretty close games, long games. Um, so he was looking. He was looking very strong as probably the form player in the world after that, heading to Sheffield. Well, I've forgotten a lot about that, and so I'm just looking it up now. And I, I often actually think, going back to that, what's best for your crucible chances? I think a good win and maybe losing the next one. That, that's what Ronnie did, I think, and lost to the decider of the year. Ronnie last, I think I'm right in saying that, had a really good win against Williams, then lost to the next one, and then won the world title. And looking at here, I think. Selby probably, I mean, Selby didn't win it. We know he got very close, got to the final. But him sort of getting a good win and then losing 10-9, you know, wasn't that might be better for your chances. But the other thing, of course, I'd, I'd half forgotten was it wasn't the most successful venue, was it, in Hull? I mean, tournament venues is, is a thorny one. Um, very, very easy to pontificate from the armchair, as I know I want to do, as we all are in this game. You know, this should be here, this should be there. Not easy to get right. But one thing I would say, Dave, this is from my point, I know it's gone to Manchester now, I, I, and I know you're in Hull, I, I felt, not just with Hull, but with lots of examples, it sort of deserved a second go. I felt one go, oh, you got it well, and that's it, we'll never give it to you again, didn't quite feel like cricket to me. No, the, you're right. The problem was there, 
from very early on, they blamed the venue rather than accepting maybe their own faults in promoting it. Um, and so the the answer is, oh, well, it doesn't work here. We'll never come here again. Whereas actually by the weekend, the crowds were good and the venue's brilliant. It's a, one of the best venues I've ever been to, that, that venue in Hull. Brilliant venue. Um, you're right, it wasn't given a chance. I think that's my kind of criticism, really. I think a lot of these events, I mean, the Masters, for the first time ever, all the standard seating is sold out in advance, okay? So that is a brilliant thing. Ticket sales are up at least 10% for every event bar the shootout, which moved to a different venue in Swansea. Uh, some more than 10%, but every event this season so far, ticket sales are up 10% last year. So that points to a lot of good work that's been done before the events in terms of promotion. They do a lot of digital marketing now. But my criticism is, and we saw this last week in Edinburgh, if it's kind of not quite as good as it could be while the event's on, nothing seems to be done while the event's on. And there was a kind of general sitting on hands in Hull. Oh, it's, this is no good here. We'll never come here again. Whereas actually things could have been done. I mean, one of the guys from ITV who, was, who had the afternoon off, he actually went down the local university. He said to the event manager, can I just take some tickets down there? I'll just hand them out. Take 50 tickets, hand them out. With 50 people coming in the next night, and that's exactly what happened. Now, obviously, we, we don't want to be in the position where we're giving tickets away, but the optics of tuning in, if it's half empty, people will think, well, this isn't an important tournament. And actually, it's a massive event. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think Hull should have got another chance. They were a little bit unlucky, maybe. The field wasn't quite the stars. There were a few stars missing. Ronnie wasn't there. Trump, Robertson, you know, a lot of the big hitters weren't there. Um, and obviously, it's one match a day, so people are a bit picky. Maybe in the afternoons, there's no finish. They don't want to come. Maybe that maybe that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it, it could have been handled better, and maybe could have been given another chance. Having said that, what I will say is, and I applaud that Manchester Central venue. That's a massive step up. That's a massive city. It's in the centre of the city. They're putting a lot of money into it. There's like hospitality and so on. So they are making an effort now to build the Tour Championship up more, which I applaud. Um, I think though there could definitely be something in Hull. I think it's a good venue. One thing I'll say about the Tour Championship as well, Kyron Wilson played brilliantly in that. I thought he was going to win it. He was ahead in the final. He, he, he was sort of playing, I think his son was ill that week and he was sort of almost playing, oh, yeah. just not thinking about kind of snooker, you know, just, yeah. just playing on instinct. He was phenomenal in that. I thought he was going to win it. But yeah, Sean, great performance. The, the venue, um, and of course what's happened is, as a kind of reaction to what happened uh, last season is they've now extended the field to 12 <laughs> in a sort of attempt to get more of the big names in. The irony being, I mean, Ronnie's sort of second on the list. He's going to be in it anyway. Trump, obviously, is number one on the list. Um, so whether it'll work with 12 as well as eight, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a shame for Hull. Like I say, I think that venue, it's a great venue. And it's just a bit of a shame that we've sort of, after a couple of days, people were saying, well, this doesn't work. They priced the tickets the same as Clan did. No, it's a different economic area. Fad did those retired people. Hull is not the most economically sort of, um, you know, uh, viable place. So it could have been done differently, but the answer seems to be it didn't work. We won't go there again. I'm not sure that's quite right. Uh, having said that, though, Manchester, I'm sure, will be good. It's funny how they follow Manchester, there. isn't it, Phil? It's funny how they fo- Whenever we go somewhere for the Tony Mio Trophy, it's funny how a big, <laughs> tournament, a big tournament seems to go there soon. It, it must be coincidence, though. That's what I'm saying. Go on. Yeah, no, we, we we scouted it out. We were the budgies down the. That is a, is a great move, really. We we said for ages they should be going to bigger cities with bigger catchment areas, more people just there. You can scoop up to bring to the snooker, 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that Manchester event. Um, I do think a lot of the time, I mean, that was a good example of it. But in a lot of tournaments, you know, I'm no expert on the economics of ticket pricing or anything. But afternoon tickets probably just need to be an awful lot cheaper than they are, and I don't think they're that expensive anyway. But a lot of venues are well under half full in afternoon sessions for understandable reasons. People are at work and the earlier rounds, lesser known names, but make them a lot cheaper and fill it up then. Um, if you can make it half the price and sell double the amount of tickets, then at least do that. Get the same amount of money, but it looks twice as good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's probably good reasons why they don't. But, um, yeah, I'd like to see something done about that. Even this week at the Sky, the shootout as well. Um, very quiet, but uh, yeah, hopefully something could be done about that uh, across the board. One thing I'll say about Hull, if you listen closely to the interview Stephen Hendry did with Steve Dawson, the World Snooker Tour chairman, he actually said in that that he hadn't been well promoted. He actually said that himself, and that's the chairman. So it's not just outside people saying it, it's actually Steve Dawson. Um, and hopefully they'll have learned the lessons from that. You know, I'm sure, as I say, they're putting a lot into Manchester, which is good. And and that because it's like pre world championship as well. Everyone's people are thinking about snooker that time of the year, so that could be a re- really good event this year. I'm sure it will be. Yeah, I agree. Um, and now we're at the world championship, and you know what a world championship it was. I think it was a real sort of classic edition um, from start to finish. Uh, you know, early shocks. Sean Murphy, we've just been speaking about going in as the form the form horse and losing to a guy who. You know, actually, very few people have watched much of. Um, he wouldn't have been tipped heavily to get through qualifying. Uh, some great wins. Tom Ford and George Brown sees your feet in qualifying. You know, the early story of the World Championship, wasn't it? And uh, and then he kept on making stories. And it's because it shows how mad it was because he's not really followed it up yet this season. But, um, yeah, obviously, the world champion we'll get to, but... Uh, for many reasons, Cesar Hui was the star of the show that those few weeks, wasn't he, Nick? Oh, very much so. And it was, you know, just played absolutely brilliantly. No no question about it. And Sean himself said, you know, I didn't play particularly badly. I remember the interview, you know, I just was, came up against a guy that was just inspired. And, he, and you're right. And he kept sort of doing it. And I mean, I, I can remember us having the conversation now, the episode after, it would have been after the final, wouldn't it? saying that he was all, all those frames ahead against Luca Purcell. It's very hard to be critical, but there was partly it was Luca playing brilliantly and partly ultimately it was his inexperience. Had he even been, say, three or four more years in the game, he really would have sealed the deal there. But you're right, he, he did absolutely brilliantly, one of the one of the stories of the tournament. And a, a, a superb tournament, a superb addition. They're never bad. I can hear Dave Hendon in my head now saying he's he's here. I don't have to hear him in my head saying you never get a bad world, you never get a bad world championship, and you don't. But this was a brilliant addition. But of course, it feels like I feel duty bound to point out, of course, that one thing that has been forgotten. I know it was set for the snooker was the Just Stop Oil protest, and perhaps we won't get into the politics of that tonight. But it helped us to su- supplant it in the minds of the public. I think that's probably not anything to be denied because I really felt Phil it always takes over to some extent and I know we work in in more of a sort of wider sports media but I really felt in I wasn't saying it's just it was just to do with just top rule you know it was a great great tournament but partly that put it in the mind and that combined with it then being a brilliant tournament if you know what I mean because that happened early it really felt like this one caught the attention very good viewing figures towards the end 
without Ronnie, I know it's a bit of a soapbox of mine, very good viewing figures without Ronnie. And um, yeah, it was brilliant. I just wrote a piece for my review of the, of the um, snooker year for, for Sporting Life. And I was just saying, yeah, great addition. And what, you know, what Luca himself did was sort of admirable in the sense when he came up against Ronnie. And I was that was the only one I was in the arena for, actually. Really weird afternoon that. Ronnie sort of didn't turn up. Luca won seven in a row. It was very, very odd. If you look at Ronnie's whole history of the Crucible, I found it odd. But that was admirable. But him coming back against C. Drahi was positively inspirational stuff. But, it, you know, it was, um, yeah, just the... As you say, Dave, you, you've been to, you've seen so many over the years. Very, very hard to rank when, you, when you've seen about, about what 40 or whatever it is. But it, it would certainly be up there if I, if, I had, if I did do a list in my top 10. It was, it was really, really strong, I felt. Well, firstly, I'll say two things firstly about the Just Up All protest. The first is, and obviously only a raging narcissist would make it about himself. However, that day... I had had a really bad night's sleep, okay? So I'd done, I think, the morning commentary and then I had the afternoon off. I was coming back in the evening and I was knackered and I was faced with the prospect of doing the first session of uh, Robert Milkins' Joe Perry, nine frames guaranteed. Not probably going to be the best session of the tournament, nothing against those two, but why would it be? It's also on Discovery Plus rather than the main channel. So I was on with Dominic thinking, you know, this is going to be a long night. I've not slept. It's like day four. You're already knackered. I've done the qualifying. I've done Judgment Day, all that already. And obviously all the tournaments before. And and, and within, within about 10 minutes, someone had jumped on the table <laughs> and, and basically cancelled the evening. So half an hour later, I'm back in the hotel having a drink. <laughs> happy, <laughs> happy, happy days. So that, that was the first thing to say. The second thing is, more seriously, um, I was told... And, and this is just between us, obviously. I was told that they actually, someone from Just Stop Oil had tickets to one of the semi-final sessions and they managed to route them out before, you know, before they obviously did any damage. And that's why it's actually quite a serious thing. If it happens once like that, okay, yeah, it brought attention to the event and okay, they juggled the schedule and it was fine. But, you know, where do you draw the line? Is it fine to do it in the, again in the semis? Is it fine to do it in the final? You know, no, it would be my answer. Um, I'm glad that they stopped it happening again. And obviously it has had knock-on effect now for the spectators going there. There's going to be more security. It's going to be a bit more cumbersome coming in and out the Crucible. Um, you already see at other tournaments now, the security sort of sat very much in the front row watching everybody. Um, so that's a knock-on effect. In terms of the tournament, though, in sort of happier um, news, yeah, it was an unbelievable what Luca did. Phil Yates was on my podcast. We'd had a little round table yeah. with Neil, Neil Falls, Al McManus, and we all picked our favourite, and mine was Mark Selby. I think Phil went for Selby. And then an outsider, and he actually made the case for Purcell, um, along the sort of Joe Johnson lines, you know, someone who could get inspiration. We all know how good Luca is, but he'd just never done it there. Um, it, it kind of was a fairy tale. He could have lost, maybe should have lost every round. You know, Ricky Walden took him to a decider. Mark Williams, that was a great game. Obviously, Ronnie looked like he had him beat. CJ Wee looked like he had him beat. And then you think two days against Selby, who's, you know, the master at the Crucible, could he possibly beat him? Selby, you know, comes back in the, 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 the first night. And then Luca played arguably the session of the tournament, that, that, that third session of the final, made four centuries. And then obviously held on very well, you know, with Selby coming back in at night. It was a wonderful story. Um, brilliant, actually. And I had, a, I had a sort of, and again, you know, making it about myself, <laughs> I had a sort of strange moment um, during that final. It, the, the post-final party, you'll remember, you had to get a wristband um, to go. And we were told, 
go in the interval, go to the front desk in the interval, get it, you'll, then you'll have it for later. So we, I went down at the interval. Now, the first match I ever saw at the Crucible Live was 1990. It was John Virgo, Gary Wilkinson. Those are the days you could get tickets basically the week before. That was the first match I ever saw. It was no good, but that's a side issue. But, the, but actually going to the Crucible and experiencing the, that environment was something that obviously has stayed with me. Um, so I went to get the wristband, and it was Gary Wilkinson on the front desk. Okay, he was sat there. Um, here's your wristband. And just as he handed it me, who walked in stage door? John Virgo, because he's coming to commentate for the BBC <laughs> for the second half. So it's just the three of us. And I'm I'm there with these two people who I saw play all those years ago. Now I'm in the unbelievably privileged position of commentating on the final of the World Championship and a final that I think will be talked about, you know, for a long time because it was such a distinct story. And it's moments like that that make you realise firstly how lucky you are, but also what a sort of great thing it is. You, you understand the interest in in this is going all around the world now. People can watch it wherever they are on various platforms. And here we are in the middle of it all. And you, you sometimes you have to remind yourself of that. It's not, you know, we, we're a bit blasé and we sort of, you know, a bit humorous about it all. But actually that was that was really special. That was really special. And to see Luca win it, you know, regardless of what he's done this season, I don't think it even matters really. That's there forever, isn't it? His dad coming on, Carlo at the end. Brilliant. It was a brilliant way to finish the tournament. It would have been great if Mark had won it, but Mark's won it four times. That story is there already. Lucas written his own story and it was it was brilliant. And you, I think you want to walk out after it's not just 17 days now, it's the qualifiers as well. So it's basically a month. You want to walk out at the end of that thinking you've seen something really good for the sport, really special. And I know it always is, but this year it was especially so, I think. Blimey, well, there's more good yeah. stuff. There's more good stuff in that three or four minutes of some podcast host giving you in a year, Dave. That was great stuff. I have to say, I just remember something else, Phil. Hey, I mean, you might be being ticked off for not having a your own catchphrase. But I just remember this. Not many people would walk out casually to the corridor, and Dave Hendon was commentating, and I was staying with you, Phil, wasn't I? On the opening morning, chatting away to Dave Gilbert. It's just come to my mind now, genuinely. Didn't think it before, about what he had for breakfast. Talking about porridge, weren't you? I thought, now, Dave talks about lovely moments with uh, with Gary Wilkinson and Virgo there, but that's, a, that's just what I love about that tournament. You're wa- wandering around on the telly, First morning. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone believes this or not, but I, I did not know that was on camera. Because on that bit of video, there's a cameraman stood next to us who doesn't seem to be doing very much. So I thought he was the lone cameraman who was not filming anything. So I, I wasn't I wasn't garnering the, the spotlights. But uh, no, I mean, that's um, how friendly these guys are, isn't it? He's about to go on and play at the World Championships, but he's happy to tell me about his lacklustre porridge that morning. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think they made an, another amazing thing after you talk about the, the wristbands for the party. Um, yeah, that's a that's a hard loss for anyone, even if he's won it four times before. Um, Mark Selby would have been very disappointed with that. But being at that party with those two afterwards, you wouldn't have known who'd won and who'd lost. Uh, if anything, Selby was the one who was sort of bouncing about, seemingly enjoying himself more than Luca. And I thought that was just a, a fabulous thing to see with those two. They were posing for photos, um, you know, just having a lovely old time. And uh, another great advert for the sport there in terms of uh, how how good most of the guys are who play it. Yeah, it was, it was a lovely thing to see between the two of them. Yeah, you really nailed it there. Great memory and a great thing to point out. And one thing that comes to my mind that a more a purely more serious snooker level, I remember turning up on that. Did we do did we do Jason Francis that day or the day before Phil? I think it might have been that day. Anyway, it, I'm pretty sure it was shortly after that. 
we went into the media centre, and I distinctly remember one journalist that we know in there saying, oh, I mean, joking, obviously, but saying, oh, don't, don't we need to be here, do we? It's obvious what's going to happen now. Almost everyone in that room thought Mark Selby was going to win, and I was one of them. I thought so too. I thought he'd done the job by not being further behind on the first day. And I thought, that's pure Selby. You know, he's, he's now going to, you know, Lucas done brilliantly, but this is, you know, day 17 of 17 of the Crucible. Mark Selby, but as you say, Dave, that Monday afternoon was absolutely inspirational stuff. But then, of course, Phil, and again, I remember us talking about this. I remember you saying, you just started to write a different headline. You had the Luca headline for hours. I'm not saying you started writing it for sure, but you just started tinkering a bit. You might have a standby because Selby came right back, didn't he? And um, I mean, eighteen fifteen, but it was sixteen fifteen. It was just, oh, it was just thrilling, wasn't it? So many finals have been great over the years, but that was an epic. Yeah, no, I had that quite horrible thing where because I, I do put a report and as close to the final ball being potted as possible, and. Uh, I had that situation where I'd sort of written two separate ones in different documents. And after, as you say, Dave, 17 days, but it's not just that. It's, uh, it's a long few days before that. Uh, not The wits aren't quite as about you as you'd, you'd like them to be. <laughs> and I do panic quite badly about uploading the wrong story, saying the wrong person's won. Um, but I, I avoided that just about. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it, it was the same in quite a few matches that tournament. You know, it, it looked like, you know, a lot of ones that Luca was in that um, one person was going to win and then it didn't. But that's what makes it. That's what made it a brilliant tournament uh, throughout. And yeah, and an, an amazing final. Um, and yeah, and it was just it was fabulous to sit here, Luca. After that, he, he was just such a everything about it was ridiculous. You know, I remember him not turning up to the media day because he was ill and he hadn't won a game at the Crucible before. He was playing a tough bloke in Ricky Walden who looked good in qualifying. And <laughs> I don't often say do this, but I texted a few mates saying. Um, Ricky Walden's odds against this match if you fancy having a few quid on. He's not here at the media day. You know, he's a, a little insider tip from someone who knows a bit about snooker. Only went on to bloody win the old tournament, didn't he? So that's going to go down in my group of friends as one of the worst betting tips of all time. Um, but it shows what an unpredictable and what exciting tournament it was. Yeah, it was one of the best. I mean, I, I know he's kind of recency biased, maybe, but it's one of the best world championships, I think, ever, actually. Um, it's quite often the fairy tale that you know you, you sort of follow. It doesn't actually transpire to be to, to happen in the end. You know, in in another universe, Mark Selby just beats him, and that's it. And it's a great win for Mark, but you don't get that sort of that new champion. But no, it's great. But I know people out there are saying, yes, we know we remember Luca winning the world championship. What about this quiz? That's what they're saying. <laughs> so here we go. Right now, it's very simple. Uh, as we are, it's very simple. So the quiz is this. Okay, it's not a trivia quiz, really. I'm going to give you, okay, a series of names, okay? And you've got to tell me, you're going to name each, so be seven names each, you've got to tell me whether that person has ever played professional snooker or not, okay? So if I say Steve Davis, the answer is yes. If I say Barack Obama, the answer is no, okay? There's seven each. If it's tied, we'll have a tie break. Um, I was wondering what to call it. I've come up with Potter or Notter. Now, it's not the best title, I know, but it'll be workshopped. If it ever goes to Sky, it'll be workshopped. And you know, I'm sure Richard Osman, if he's listening, could do could do something with this. <laughs> well, it's pl- I'm very pleased with it. I'm very pleased with it. I did try it out. I tried it out with. The, I won't say they were, but there were a couple of world snooker people, and we played a game of it. And it, Mark Selby was in attendance, as I said. 
Um, and I said to them at the end, I said, you know, you could do this. You've got your YouTube channel. You've got all that. You could do this. And they sort of looked at me like I was a bit simple, um, which <laughs> is often the way they do look at me. But they've not done it yet. So I thought, OK, the Christmas podcast and people will hear this and they'll be them. I'm not saying there'll be a bidding war for it. I don't know. But let's play it anyway. OK, so Nick, you're going to go first. OK, <laughs> not going to lag for the break. You're going to go first. So like I say, you'll get a series of names. You've got to tell me, has this person played professional snooker? Yes or no. OK, so you ready? Otto or Lotta? Here we Otto go. Otto or Lotta. Okay. Number, name number one to you, Nick. Okay. Jimmy James. Has Jimmy James ever been a professional snooker player? Potter. Uh, no, he's not. I made him. I made the name up. So that's one nil to Phil. Uh, see, on television, there'd be dramatic music under this, but we can't afford that. Um, okay. Phil, your first name for you. Okay. Bernard Bennett. Has Bernard Bennett ever been a professional snooker player? Yes, Potter. Correct. And Bernard Bennett, was he was one of the first professionals. Um, I think he was in the first Pop Black, but actually he was one of the very first professionals and he ran a snooker club for many years uh, down on the South Coast. Uh, Nick, it's, it's early yet, there's seven names each. Um, you know, it's it, you, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, number, name number two is Paul Thomason. I'll spell the surname. T H O M E R S O N. Paul Thomas and Nick, has he ever been a professional snooker player? Uh, Potter. Correct. And here's the rub on that, okay? He is Ryan Thomason's dad. He's Ryan Thomason's dad, and he played a couple of seasons on the tour. Very good. This is, this is. This is quite good, really. This is quite good. This is quite good. I'll put yeah when I when I pitch to Sky, I'll put that on. This is quite good. Great. It's quite good. <laughs> well, was, yeah. Well, th- th- thanks for the vote of confidence. Okay, Phil. Uh, second. So it's one all, but you've got uh, one in hand. Sean Mellish. Okay, Sean. Uh, it's Sean as in Murphy Mellish. Has he ever been a professional snooker player? Sean Mellish. Not a no. I'm afraid that's wrong. He was a player, and he played at the Crucible. And the, and and now you see, you clearly haven't read the Crucible Almanac properly because he was the first player to play at the Crucible in earrings. Yes, he was. Oh wow, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that would I would like as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one each. It's oh, this is tense, isn't it? My word. This is this is like a sort of you know middle session at the Crucible. This is how tense it is. One table. Okay. <laughs> Nick, your third, your third name. Okay, Sam Seaborn. I'll spell the, I'll spell the surname S E A B O R N. Sam Seaborn. Has he ever been a professional snooker player? I'm sure that's a character from the West Wing. So I'm going to say Notter. Ah, you see, you, you, you didn't fall for my trap. You're quite right. He, he was in the West Wing. That's Rob Lowe's character. I've thrown him <laughs> in there, a little, testing a little cultural whatever. Okay, I, I, I adored the West Wing. By the well, way, that's, that's all. Yeah. I know we got our friend John, who, who we met in, the, in Sheffield, Phil, who's also a West Wing fanatic. One of the great pieces of television. And also, getting that way now, one for the teenagers. Let's keep the bingo, let's keep the bingo card going. I think there's a great Christmas episode in Excelsis Deo, which is a fantastic episode. The one where Toby finds the coat of the... Uh, well, anyway, I won't go... We're not here to talk about the West Wing. Um, OK, so it's 2-1 to Nick. He's, he's recovered from, a let's be honest, a poor start um, yeah. in the lead. Phil, your third name, Jason Scott, with two T's. Jason Scott, has he ever been a professional snooker player? The, the detail of two T's, 
makes me want to say yes, Potter. Is that your final answer? Oh, yes. Not, I don't know why no. I developed that as a thing. That's never been a thing so far, is it? You're saying it is. A, you're saying you're correct. And here's the thing about Jason Scott. Oh. Here's the thing about Jason Scott. He was the first opponent for Ronnie O'Sullivan ever in the UK Championship. That, that oh, wow! Yeah, first first elite player ever played in the UK Championship, Jason Scott. So it's two. Each. I can't. I'm not sure I can cope with seven. Can we do five? Seven. Seven's a lot. No, it's, I feel the I feel the pressure growing. That that's good. That's 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 a good format then. That is good. Yeah. See, on ITV now they take a break, wouldn't they? But we we haven't got that luxury, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, all right. So okay. Uh, fourth name for Nick. Okay, uh, Martin O'Neill. Now, that, now there is, of course, a footballer, football manager with the same name, but Martin O'Neill, has he ever been a professional snooker player? Um, there have been a few O'Neills, haven't there? Bloody hell, they really have. Um, or is uh, it a trick? Or is it a trick? That's what you've got to work out. Well, that's obviously what I've got to work out, yeah. Potter! <laughs> Potter! Correct! Martin O'Neill from Northern Ireland, as, as the name would suggest. Yeah. Not fallen for the trick, OK? So, there he goes. 3-2 to Nick. Uh, uh, Phil, John Shine, and Shine as in Shine, as in <laughs> John Shine, has he ever been a professional snooker player? As in Shine, shine on Harvey Moon. That's one for the teenagers. <laughs> uh, no, he hasn't. No, not a... Correct. You yeah, see, you're doing well here. Doing well. We are doing well, actually, to be fair. Three out of four. And when I asked you earlier, this is the gotcha quiz, and you kind of, do, um, you, you, you sort of, well, you dodged it a little bit. This is the ultimate gotcha quiz, really. Well, you're doing okay. It's three, three. Yeah, three, three each left. If it's a tie, there'll be a tiebreaker, which I've not yet devised, but we'll we'll come <laughs> back to that. Uh, okay, Nick, your next na- your next name is Sonic Multani. Now I'll spell these surnames: Sonic, as in uh, Sonic Screwdriver, and Multani, M-U-L-T-A-N-I. Sonic Multani, has he ever been a, a snooker player, or is he a name actually from something else? It's one of those classic ones where I don't know, it's going to probably be something like this. Uh, I won't be able to sleep on this one if I get this one wrong, I think. Um, I'm going to say Potter. Correct. He was from India. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I was hoping you'd get more of these wrong, actually, but anyway. Uh, yeah, it's very good for you to hit this. Yeah. Phil. What do you mean? It's not very good for me. I'm le- you're level with me, but we're doing the same. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't say it's very good for me. No, that'll be very boastful. Oh, that, that's never stopped me. <laughs> but we'll clean this up in the edit. Don't worry. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Fifth one for Phil. <laughs> Ian Black. Now, there's a name there. Obviously, one of the balls on the table. But is Ian Black? Has he ever been a snooker player? Professional snooker player. It doesn't ring a bell. Ian Blackwell was quite a good cricketer. I'm going to say no, not a. I'm afraid that's not right. He was a Scottish. Oh! He was a Scottish professional in the in the pre Stephen Hendry era. So right, I think he's now in front four three. Go on then. Okay, now your next one. I'll have to spell this. I'll. I'll the name is Brinkmar Valdemarson. Okay, I'll spell both names. B Y R sorry B R Y N G M A R. That's his first name. And Valdemarson, V A L D I M A R S O N. Well, I've had a run of Potters and I'm sticking with it. That's Potter. Correct. He's from Iceland. And what, I mean, you know, and this is just, this is just a fact. He had one leg. He had a wooden leg. 
uh, one leg and a wooden leg. Um, he beat John Spencer in the World Masters in Birmingham. I, I feel a bit guilty, Phil. Remember what, what was the name of your band? Was it Heckler? Heckler, on, yeah. On that trip, I heard that name. That name came up when I visited that club. I can't remember the pro I spoke to now, the former pro from Britain. It'll come to me later. I might look it up. It's on my SoundCloud. That name came up. So I feel a bit guilty that I got that one. But anyway. Don't apologise for extensive pan-European snooker research. It's impressive. <laughs> now, it's 5-3 to Nick. So Phil needs to get this. Otherwise, essentially, it's over. Okay? So for the, for the sake of the sort of attention, we could do to get in this. <laughs> okay? So the next name is Brian Salmon, as in the fish. Brian Salmon. Is he ever played? Brian Salmon. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say not a, no. I'm afraid that's not right. Brian Salmon, <laughs> Brian Salmon was a professional snooker player. Well, we're going to play the last two anyway, just because I've written them down. Um, so, Nick, your final one, Mark Ganderton. Mark Ganderton, has he ever been a professional snooker player? Do, 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 do you know what, Bill? I was going to say that's the first thing I've won this year. But it's not the first thing, is it? It's the second thing, because I also won the Tony Mio Trophy. Another one for the bingo card there. Um, I think Ganderson's probably one of those that's not quite that. It's a different name, so it's probably not a... But because I've had so much success with Potter, I'm going to stick with Potter. You're quite right. Mark Ganderton. Now, Phil Yates always described him in this... He never sort of rose to the ranks, but Phil used to always describe Mark Ganderton as the, being the heir to a pork-scratchings empire, because his dad... <laughs> Ran a pork scratching <laughs> company, and uh, but in Phil's in Phil's words, it was an empire. And indeed, I looked him up today, and he, not only was he a snooker player, he was a kickboxer as well. He was a national kickboxing champion. But in the report, it did say his father sadly passed away, and he inherited his pork scratching's company. So he did take over in the end. Um, okay, so well, six out of seven. I mean, that's pretty good going. Phil, Phil, you're playing for second place. Uh, well, you're not playing for it; you're, you're in second place. But let's see. Yeah. Let's see if you could at least end with uh, with a, a fourth correct answer. Carl Chin with two ends. Carl Chin with a C. Chin with two ends. Has he ever been a professional snooker player? See, Nick's just going for the same answer every time, and it's working. I've been going for the same answer most of the time, and it's not been working. Do I switch to the last minute? I'll stick to my guns. And say no, not a. Correct. No, Carl Chin, uh, he's known, where I live in the West Midlands, he is actually a local historian. So he's always on the local okay. news talking about some old, you know, old building or something. So the finals, well, you've both done quite well. 6-4 to Nick. Um, and that's Potter or Notter. And, you know, I, I, I suspect by the time we get together next year, you know, that will have taken off. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Thank you very much for putting No, thank together. you. No, that, 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 that was actually smashing. And um, uh, see, I've gone from... Quite good. Was it quite good to to to, to smashing? Well, now which is mainly because, <laughs> yeah, it's totally it's totally it's totally because I've won. So it's suddenly got it's, it's suddenly a brilliant quiz. Um, two things come to mind. I had to look it up. Alan Trigg was the former professional I spoke to in in, in Iceland, and Dave. It is a link to another bit of correspondence because that was very snooker player bingo esque. That with your tales from Phil Yates. Uh, Gaz147 wants to know, when is the next snooker player bingo? Well, I, I, I can't uh, sort of give you a date necessarily, but I'm sure it will come <laughs> around again. Um, the problem with it is and I, I, we never kind of know who we've already done. So you end up possibly doing the same people. Um, but yes, it, 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 it will come around again. Just yeah, just keep watching the skies. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think I may have got Bernard Bennett from a snooker player being. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, that, that does show that I'm an avid listener to snooker scene. <laughs> am, am I right in thinking he was not, without being unkind, not the greatest of professionals? Well, yeah. I mean, he was one of the first. I think. I think there was a suggestion that he turned pro so that they had enough players for Pop Black. I mean, that seemed to be the suggestion. Um, but yeah, he was sort of a. He ran a club. He was a very well regarded club. Um, he wasn't known as a break builder, really, but uh, yeah. But he got you a point, so. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. I'm in the fan club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I heard it from that. Gaz147 also asks us, Phil, what was your favourite episode of the year? I'm going to go first. I think you might be the same answer. For me, it's John Higgins. And again, to use Dave's words, only a raging narcissist would make it about ourselves. But um, I don't think he's done many. He's not done many of that length. So let, let's just say, let's blow our own trumpet a bit. That was that part of it. And I thought he was great. He was so good. I mean, talk about nice guys in snooker. Great guy, John. What a professional. What a life in snooker. And I just thought his stories going back, his story about Alex Higgins, bloody hell. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, did, he did go to that episode of 2010. A lot of people, we did have to think long and hard about whether we bring it up. He did help us, didn't he, along that path by referencing it at, at one stage but it was everything all the world finals all, all the all, all the triumphs uh, the disappointments uh, I thought I was just uh, something that Dave talks about those privileged moments I thought it was a great privilege for us to do yeah 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 I think you've said it all there that it was that was definitely the the highlight of the year we've had some good ones uh yeah plenty of good guests on um been a really enjoyable year but yeah I think uh John was the standout very generous with the time as as a lot of people are but um yeah, feature length Higgins. We've got to go with that, haven't we? Indeed. So maybe maybe I should say, um, for the for the sake of um of a wee break, that this is, of course, a joint snooker podcast Christmas special. And we're coming to the hour and a half mark, which is another one for the the uh the bingo card, of course. And uh, it's snooker scene and talking snooker joining together here with David Hendon, Phil Haig, and Nick Metcalf. I think maybe it, it is obviously a light-hearted episode, but I, I think we we must be duty bound, mustn't we? And even in chronological terms, to next talk about the match fixing scandal, which ultimately um, did cast a shadow over the snooker year. I've just written in the aforementioned view of the year for sporting life that you know the glory of the game will win out. This game is too special, um, you know, to, to to let it be. You know, ruined forever and a day by some by some rotten apple type thing. They're obviously all bad actors. I remember using that word, those that phrase, bad actors, filling this. Some worse than others, of course. We know there were two lifetime bans, a number of bans for different offences. But listen, let's say maybe on a positive level, it was dealt with so quickly, wasn't it? And I know because I cover so many sports, so many of these episodes over the years, and the number of sports, they can drag on for many months, maybe even years. So it was dealt with quickly. It was effective. Um, the punishments may not have been to everyone's liking. I know we probably both think they might have been on the lenient side, but overall it was effective. They were handed out decisively. And that meant to some extent we could as quickly as you know is possible move on. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. It was quick. It, it felt long because it sort of felt dragged out in the them coming out in stages, didn't they? It felt like there was that horrible time where every couple of weeks it was like, oh, and here's another one getting charged, here's another one getting charged. But considering how many people were being charged, yeah, you're right. It was dealt with 
quite quickly, um, impressively so. And then there was the nightmare of it coming out during the World Championships. Um, but that was sort of dealt with, I think, the nature of how good the World Championships, as we said, helped sort of uh, get through that um, as well as it could be. Um, and yeah, and then we've moved on this season. And yeah, it was really, really unsavoury for everyone involved, uh, the whole sport. But I think everyone pretty much uh, did as, as well as everyone could do um, who was involved in it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it goes so quickly, doesn't it? You know, I think Zhao Zintong's suspension is up in September. Um, of course, he'll then be off tour and have another just come around the next year to come back on, but it'll come around quickly again, and that's going to be very interesting to see um, how he's received. Um, assuming he wants to come and carry on his career, I think he probably does. Um, but yeah, that's going to be fascinating to see what goes on there, but. Uh, I think the sport did itself um, as much just as it could do. Um, you know, it's a, it was a terrible look for the game. But um, as you say, I think it was dealt with as, as well as could be expected in those in that situation. So, um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say things are positive when things like that happen. But um, it, it was dealt with appropriately. Let's put it that way. Dave, you want to add into that? I mean, yeah. I believe in second chances in life. Uh, you know, I believe people should be allowed to build their future. You know, those that were guilty of quotes unquote lesser offences, you know, they can still have a future in the game. You know, I don't think people should be punished necessarily forever. Obviously, we you know two life bans, but you know, we know the specific examples of that. Not just fixing matches, but persuading and facilitating other players to fix matches too, hindering the inquiry. These are the worst of the offences, obviously. In the case of Zhao Zintong, as Phil mentions, it's being a party to other players fixing matches. It's betting on matches in breach of the rules. It's bad. It's all bad. But it's where do you draw the line? And, of course, we should say, the you know, the other bachelors, of course, they've been given longer bans in China, haven't they? So that may, um, you know, be an element as well. But I don't know whether they'll be welcomed back with open arms. I'm sure it might be hard, hard for some fans to, to stomach. But some of these guys have their second chances, don't they, Dave? I think so, and, uh, and what I would like is to think that the lessons are learned from the culture that sort of was allowed to develop there. You know, I don't believe that Yang Bingtao got off the plane at the age of 16 and determined to cheat at snooker. He's been sucked into a culture, you know, thousands of miles from home. He's banded with some of the other Chinese professionals, and obviously two of them in particular, and they're named in the report, were, were sort of the orchestrators of this. If you said 10 British guys on their own to another country, you know, young guys, late teens, early 20s, they would probably find trouble in some way if there was no one looking after them. I don't understand why the Chinese authorities didn't send someone in the position of authority over to the UK with so many players here to kind of look at, look after them, look out for them, keep them out of trouble. And particularly during COVID time, obviously, they were sort of stuck here and there were people involved in, in things they shouldn't have been, and they kind of suckered some of the others into it. It's not an excuse. I'm not making excuses for the people who, who did these things, but I'm sure they were not, you know, they weren't sort of bad apples from the start. The, the culture that they were in and the circumstances they were in contributed to what happened. Um, and obviously the, the, the punishments you would like to think would deter anyone from doing this again, but you have to change the sort of culture they're in as well. Um, very unsavoury for snooker, but what's interesting is it's kind of it's not been forgotten, but it hasn't overshadowed things. I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought, 
you know, would it imperil going back to China? Would that be difficult? Actually, they seem more interested than ever in the sport. And of course, we've got new players have emerged, Sijawi, Zhang Anda from that part of the world. So, yeah, it's costly for the players who are involved. Some of them we'll never see again. I think some we will see again. How the public will look at them, how their fellow players will look at them, we'll see. Um, great shame. But like you say, it was dealt with. It was dealt with pretty decisively, pretty quickly. That's all you can ask for, really. Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, because I've been thinking about it specifically again the last two or three weeks. Having not really thought about it greatly for a while, because I've been, you know, writing this piece to sum up the snooker year. And part of me thinks, God, are we, did we spend long enough reflecting on it? But also I was saying, you know, let's be clear here. Other sports have had far bigger problems with cheating than snooker has. I know it's not a race to the bottom, but you look at sports like athletics and cycling, cheating, and let's call it that because it is cheating, has been rife for years, decades. No one's saying, you know, we shouldn't enjoy the Paris Olympics next year or we shouldn't enjoy the Tour de France because cheating has been going on there forever. So we, we, we've got to keep it in perspective, if you, you know, if you know what I mean as well. We can't, you know, let ourselves be dragged down under forever by these bad things. So I think there's an element of maybe I'm surprised we've moved on so quickly, but also, Phil, you know, I think we have a duty while treating these things with the utmost seriousness to talk a positive game and look at the many great things in the game and remembering that there, there will always be nefarious behaviour in the game. It would be naive to think there won't be. But the principled and decent majority will always win out, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it, of course, it was a minority. It's just that it's a significant minority. Now, it's 10, 10 players got uh, were being charged there and there's only 128, 130 on tour. So it's a lot of people. Um, I think, yeah. It obviously, it's still a small amount of people, but I think what our job really um, in in the coming months, really up to sort of the year anniversary of it happening, I guess, is just to sort of uh, find out what further has been done about it, because then we can really tell whether it's been sort of just brushed aside or things, lessons have properly been learned, because there was lots of talk about improving the education you know getting maybe people getting in the academies you know further closer work with Chinese authorities so I guess that's our job in the media to be sort of pushing to find out what has been done um in the months following this not just sort of the uh, the punishments and then ending there because hopefully uh hopefully it has you know there has been work uh, I know they they did that session at Lillishall with um a load of pros you know talking through a lot of things and uh, not just this but uh, things to do with this sort of stuff so, yeah, there is work being done, but uh, I guess uh, we need to sort of find out exactly because it's not necessarily going to be something they want to publicise widely, um, but uh, that's part of our job to find out. And hopefully that is being done uh, and will continue to be done, not just in the year after this has happened, but ongoing. Indeed. And, of course, we move on to this new season. Uh, Phil, would you, you know, please do take us through it. You know, we, we've had lots of great stories. I think, you know, Everyone would say that the, the player of the season so far has been Judd Trump. What he did in in those three tournaments in a row was staggering, wasn't it? I mean, you know, to, to, two in a row, something else, but three. I mean, even now, it takes some, you know, getting your head around. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the season started with sort of the slow, the slow curtain raises. Um, you know, with the Championship League, Sean Murphy did very well to win that, and Barry Hawkins is brilliant at the European Masters, but. Um, those things, those two tournaments still feel a bit like we're just easing into it. Um, Shanghai was great with Ronnie uh, beating Luca in the final. I thought that was a great tournament. Um, 
and the British Open is, has become one of the highlights of the calendar for me, actually. I really enjoy the Open mm. draw. Um, never quite sure what's going to happen, but uh, great, great final between Mark Williams and Mark Selby, I thought. And then on to, yeah, the Judd Jud Trump hat-trick, um, which was phenomenal because uh, didn't really see it coming. I know he got to the final in the European in Germany, um, and it's Judd Trump, so we're never stunned to see him do well. Um, but he'd gone out reasonably tamely to Selby in Shanghai, lost to Hammond Mir in the British. Um, and then after that, three big wins in a row in Essex, Wuhan and Belfast. It was remarkable stuff. And it's like we were saying earlier about sort of players hitting purple patches. Um, but even when you hit form, it's still really hard to keep on winning because um, there's so many good players, all that travel, um, the sort, of, the sort of pressure goes off when you win one a bit, like you said before, Dave. Um, that you know it's not so bad if you then you go out early in the next one, but it's just so difficult. Um, so for him to do that in a month's time was, uh, yeah, you know, you just don't see it. You, we may well not see that again for years and years. It was amazing. I think Trump is is two things, and they're sort of opposite in a way. He's he's in some ways he's um, a complete one off as a player. The way he plays, his cue action. Um, the shot making, you know, the cue power he's got. That's one side of it. The other side is he's actually a very typical personality who is a champion. He's an introvert. He's found something he's good at and has been determined to stay good at it. And that's what Davis did. That's what Hendry did. To an extent, that's what O'Sullivan did. You know, they found something they were good at and they worked hard to stay in their minds, the best at it. And I think Trump does think he is the best, which I think is part of his success. Um, you know, he, he sort of, I think people have the wrong idea about him, maybe because of social media or certainly early on in his sort of, early on in his career, he came across as a bit flash. He's not really. He's very down to earth. He, you know, lives with his brother. They're quiet people. They're from a lovely family. Um, you never, you never see him getting involved in any trouble anywhere or falling out of nightclubs or anything like that. He practices really hard. And it was noticeable when he won that English Open. I mean, a few players who had lost earlier in that tournament didn't go to Wuhan. Oh, I'm not going there. It's too far. He had to go literally the next day and then play two two matches on the day he got there. And he just got on with it because he wanted to carry that form on. And and then you think, OK, well, you don't need to play in Belfast. But, of course, he's got a great record in that tournament. Won it three times. So he did, and he won that as well. And And it's not only winning three in a row. He won three in a row within four weeks in three different parts of the world against, obviously, great players. Um, amazing, really. An amazing feat. Um, deserving of a lot of credit, which I think he has got. Um, always with Trump, there's this sort of... And I mentioned earlier that I'm still wearing the triple crown, by the way. People were wondering. I've kept it on. There's always this, this thing about, you know, the, the other tournaments, the, the bigger tournaments that he doesn't always win. They got to the semis, I think, of the UK, which, you know, is pretty good going. Um but that feat alone, if if he does nothing else this season, that's that's one of the great feats of the season for me. Um, because that bloody hard to win these tournaments, you know, and to win three on the spin in, in in a month in different parts of the world, phenomenal, really. And he must have been knackered. But again, I think that's another side of it. He keeps himself fit. I think his brother Jack, I know he's sort of, he's mentioned a bit, but I think it's worth mentioning him. He takes a lot of pressure off because he would have driven him to the airport, literally things like that, he would have booked the flight. He'd have got all the stuff, packed the case, done all the all the stuff that takes time, you know, away from just concentrating on the matches. He, he he was a good player himself, good junior player, understands the game. He can talk to Trump about the game. He can also talk to him as a brother 
you know, which is different to a different relationship, just a friend or an associate or a coach. He's a great person to have. You know, it's a good team, that team Trump. And he's part of that success. And I, I think I think a, a, a successful Trump is good news for snooker. So that spell he had, it garnered a lot of attention. Obviously, it was going to end at some point. It ended on table two, um, away from the cameras, which was sort of... Oh, it was table three, wasn't it? Sorry, it was table three in Tianjin, which is just, you know, that, that's kind of typical sort of snooker, really. But, but yeah, it was fantastic. What he did there was fantastic. He played great stuff. They actually, he actually played, I think, the best in the third tournament in Belfast because he was behind a few times there. He had to rally. Just showed the determination. You know, well, he didn't settle for one tournament. He didn't settle for two. He wanted to carry on winning everything. That's the mentality of a champion. Yeah, I think so. And I'm glad you mentioned the thing about him. I know I my, my colours to the mask on this one quite, quite early. And not everyone agreed. And I totally respect their opinion on this. I don't think it's the most ideal thing in the world to be on Sunday night in the UK and Monday morning in China or vice versa. To argue that would be mad. But I do think that um, the timing of people complaining on mass about it was, uh, I didn't think was great, really. After the, after the dreadful, you know, two or three autumns we've had with almost nothing, you know, I thought they might have took, taken a bit of a vow of silence here. And I must admit, you know, just in a quite a mischievous way, I was kind of pleased, Dave, that Judd sort of said, well, actually, I'm going to go over there without much fuss, win it. And then a little bit, those complaints did die away a little bit after that. People were like, oh, okay, well, you know, they have a good argument, but it's lessened a bit now. I think, yeah, listen, we all, whatever job we do, we all complain about things. To the outside, they look small and silly. Um, I guess the difference is most of us don't do it in public. <laughs> we keep to ourselves and we bitch about things, you know, amongst our colleagues. Maybe we don't do it in public. Uh, the, the schedule isn't quite right. I know. I think everyone kind of gets that, but there are reasons for it. I was told that the Chinese events have to be, it's actually contractual. They have to be sort of, I think, three or four weeks apart so that they all stand out. And it's a rather parochial argument. It's a British argument. I'll just have them all one after another. Well, no, they want to make a fuss of their own events. Okay. They put a lot of money in. They want them to be isolated events rather than one after another. That's how they want them. So therefore the calendar, it does involve a lot of back and forth it's not ideal, but it would. It's 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 more ideal than not having them. I mean, that's a fact, you know. And Judd Trump isn't complaining, is he? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I talk about the like you said those blocks of tournaments, but as you say, if it's going to be like that, and if then the money doesn't come in, if you want to force them all to be together, then we go and play in Chinese leisure centres instead of the the wonderful tournaments that they put on over there, and then no one will be happy with that. Well, what 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 would we say if the argument from China was okay? You've got to play the Masters, the UK, and the World one after another. People would say that's madness. We can't do that, but we expect them to put their big tournaments on one after another. You know, it, it, again, it's it's the same sort of parochialness in snooker. You know, it's so much of it is from from a British lens, and we're we're guilty of that as well. I certainly am talking about. I mean, listen to our cultural references. You know, for a start, yeah. about yeah. Duke, for God's sake. But but you know, the fact is, if you want. If we want the circuit to be global, you have to sort of make concessions to people in these countries the way they want to do it. And it will sometimes mean it's not ideal, but you've just got to get on with it, you know, really. You've got to get on with it. it, it you've been given the opportunity to play in the tournaments. You don't have to play in them, and some people ducked out. That's up to them. But the opportunity's there, and, and the great players grasp them, as, as Judd Trump did. Dave, can I just say... Um... Would it be fair to say, and maybe you're in agreement here, that that, that triple crown on your head there is a yeah. little bit a little bit more robust than you thought early on? 
I'm and, sensing, uh, I'm and sensing and an allegory here, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, it's quite a flimsy-ish hat, really. Well, that's what it seems on the surface, but it's got more sort of staying power than maybe you'd given credit for early on. If you well, apply, if you applied that same, well, I say fairness. If you applied that same sort of strategy, oh, I'm not sure about it. Oh, this thing's not got much to it. And you notice that two hours, you know, say two years later, you might change your mind on the on the on the on the bigger triple crown. No, well, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you've you've, <laughs> you've thrown the hot potato into the oven. That doesn't make any sense. You take anyway. You, you take a potato out of the oven, but we'll we'll gloss over that. Here's the thing, okay, I've said it, so we're going to get onto a serious issue. I, I never had any issue with the, the three events being the three biggest and winning them all in the same season. When Mark Williams did it, that was a, he was the last player to do it. That wasn't a major achievement. It wasn't necessarily a major news story at the time. It wasn't, but it but it was it was an achievement that was recognised, you know. And, and the hit, the thing was though, there was another BBC event which he then won the next year. And if you listen back to the coverage of that. It was described as the BBC slam. Okay, so but times have changed. What I object to is the idea, this thing about triple crown titles, the idea that they're all of equal value. They're not. The World Championship is of much bigger value than winning the Masters. But you see these lists of, you know, Ronnie's won whatever. Well, Ronnie's won them all, you know, millions of times. But there are certain players who might have won four triple crown events, but they haven't won the World Championship. They're not of equal value. And it's not like the, the majors in golf, I think you could argue are, are of equal value. Maybe the Open is considered ahead of the others, but they're essentially the same format for each event. The, the, the Grand Slams in tennis, obviously Wimbledon is the oldest, but they're kind of, if you win a Grand Slam, people understand what that means. It's not quite the same. The World Championship is ahead of the other two. Um, and also, it's not a series. The Triple Crown series, it makes no sense. Uh, you could win the Masters and not be at the Crucible. <laughs> so, but, but, but I think people get that nuance, though. I, I think people un- I think people understand the nuance that the world's bigger than the other two, though. I don't think so. Well, I don't think so, actually. I, don't, I think it's become now this thing about... Here's the thing, right? Who would you say... Hey, if, there we are, Dave. Yeah. Was that... <laughs> get the bit. Tobra owns at the ready. Open I'm, I'm it just, up. <laughs> I'm just finishing my second glass of wine, by the way. But <laughs> who, if you were doing your personal list of the greatest players of all time, who would be higher in the list? Steve Davis or John Higgins? My list? Yeah. Well, Steve Davis says it's John Higgins, so if Steve says it, then I'll say Okay, fine. Steve <laughs> Davis has won 15 Triple Crown titles. John Higgins has won nine. So why is why is, why is John Higgins higher? If that's well, you asked. If that's you asked. <laughs> I know it's a funny example. I've been flippant there. Steve does say that, by the way. Yeah, um, but, but, what, but if that's the metric, Triple Crown titles, if Steve's won six more, why is, why is John Higgins above him? Because it's not the only metric. And and you go back to Judd earlier. Now, I, I, I tend to agree with some of the things you say about Judd, by the way. Uh, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty. I know about that piece saying, you know, I don't think he's quite a great yet. But don't you think his career is interesting, though, in the history of the game, in the sense that he's fifth in the all-time list? And yet, maybe in those biggest three, don't have to call it by the, by the name that we're all joking about or, or the phrase, of, you know, maybe he's a bit he's a bit short on those. Look, it's nuance, isn't it? It's nuance. I don't think it should be just on numbers, by the way, um, necessarily. OK, when you get up to Ronnie and Hendry, then I think you have to do it on numbers, which is why when Ronnie got to seven, we say he's the greatest because that was the one thing missing. I don't, sorry, I know it's probably a bit of waffle. I, I don't think it is always numbers. OK, but John Higgins um, John Higgins hasn't won a Triple Crown event 
for 12 years. No, I know. That's true. <laughs> but nobody nobody says, and I don't say, by the way, that he's not an authentic, yeah. sort of, still an authentic great. Well, I think when you're talking about those unbelievable ones, it, it, do the numbers really matter that much? OK, they do when it's Ronnie and Hendrick, because we're talking about the greatest then. But Davison Higgins, I mean, you may think it's Steve, Phil Haig made a different view. They're so good when they're that high. I don't know if it really matters then. Maybe it matters more when it gets a bit low. I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, the bottom line is, I would argue, I don't think it's a greater achievement winning the Masters than it is winning, say, the International Championship. It's a historic tournament that people want to win because of the money and the prestige. But is that a better achievement? Why is that a better achievement than winning the Tour Championship or any of those big events? I don't I don't really get that. I mean, but that's because I, I put the World Championship literally right up here and then everything else, they're all interested to me. I don't really, I don't really rank the other tournaments. No, and that's a that's a that's a very valid way of doing it. What I would say is that, just from my, my own personal point of view, the interest. And you're gonna you're gonna say it's quite parochial here. You say well, it wasn't like that in China, but the interest is so much more significant, it, isn't it? Generally, in think, most snooker media, when it comes to those those events, I wish it wasn't. No, but I think I think it, it's because they're on the BBC, so they're, they're higher profile. I just think they're higher profile events because they're, they're they're available to more viewers. Um, you know, I think if the BBC showed the British Open, it would be it would be a higher, higher profile. But anyway, I mean, this could be a good time. Phil promised some jokes earlier. Now we've had a we've had a heated, <laughs> we've had a heated debate here, which went which went nowhere really, like most debates. So what, Phil, why don't you, Phil, why don't you step in with some levity? <laughs> Well, yeah, my only point on that is right. Like something like the international championship is right because all the rest of them change so much that they can come and compete with. You know, we've spoken a lot about it's got sort of bounced back in recent years the UK championship, but there was not long ago before it got the revamp, it was sort of flopped away a bit. And the international championship isn't too far away from it, really. The China Open was absolutely massive, um, and yeah, so there's, there's no way, there's no reason why other tournaments can't catch those two up. They're never going to catch the worlds up. No, but like the Saudi one, you know, when the, if that Saudi one comes in, and that's half a million quid for the winner. That's going to go past those two immediately in the player's mind, anyway. So, is that going to immediately? What's going to happen then? And I, I certainly, I certainly don't want to, don't want to ever suggest that new things can't be good or new things can't be better. Absolutely, of course, of course. But history is also something as as well. So uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to to balance out. But um. Go on, Phil. They've got to be better than some of the ones we've heard on Dave's. I can't (laughs) promise anything. Um, But as a tribute to Dave's wonderful joke section, I've come up with three festive snooker-themed jokes for you. And I can only apologise. Number one, what role would Ali Carter have in a nativity play? Uh, Ali Carter, an activity play. Um, he's the captain, isn't he? So what? Um, uh... Pilot. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Quite good. It's it's more it's more clever than funny. But, uh, but that's... yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't I can't promise <laughs> yeah. anything. Really. Wait a sec, just a clapper. Do you mean Pontius Pilot? That... Yes. Oh, now that is a little bit of gravitas in. The midst of a bit of nonsense. So that's the word gravitas there, everybody. So not, you can put that. I should say I'm not a theologian, just but isn't isn't that more Easter than Christmas? Um I thought he 
Well, Pon- Ooh, Pontius, Pontius Pilate sent, did send Jesus to death. I am a theologian. Yeah. Um, that's more that's Easter that. than Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. <All right>. For... <laughs> Strike that one from the record, then. In, in oh, three months', in three months time, it, that'll so. kill. In three months' time, that would be an absolute... <laughs> Brilliant. Who am I thinking of? Herod? You're thinking I'd of King. On. I'd move on. Yeah. No, Phil, just to clarify, you are thinking of King Herod, but that's oh. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can only apologise to King Herod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one is probably the worst of the three. What would the three wise men bring for snooker fans? Well, after, after the last one, Easter eggs hasn't got a chance. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> it, it, well, listen. Now, didn't those characters d- didn't? Was it then? Was it then that brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I think it was, wasn't it? It's going to be myrrh. This. It's not going to be gold. I don't think it's going to be gold or frankincense. Is it Murphy. Is it Murphy? <laughs> that's, that's one of them. <laughs> oh, I see. Ha. Oh dear. So it's gold. So Frank. It, who, who who played snooker that was called Frank? This is getting bad, isn't it? Just tell us. Off. Just tell us. <laughs> it, it's, it's Gould. Ah. And this uh, rhyming with frankincense is difficult. But how about ranking events? Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> and Murphy. This is really bad stuff, actually. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. It's not bad stuff. It's, it's... The best I could get with Frank was Frank Callan. Didn't really work. Ranking events does sound a bit like Frankincense. You should have gone with Frankincense Callan. Hmm. I know that I would have been ridiculous, but I think it would have made me laugh more. I'll keep working on it. This is the last one. What kind of festive seasons they have at the world number twenty seven's house? <laughs> well, it's a very specific question. I haven't got the ranking list in front. Of just like, yeah, I, 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 I have. Can I look it up and cheat? No, it's a Perry Christmas. Okay, yeah. Perry that's quite good. That's quite good. I feel a bit. I feel. Like, I feel. Like, I feel a bit guilt. I've got a bit Catholic guilt now. Because I've been rude to the first two. That was good. Uh, that was good. They don't deserve anything but being rude to. But it's as good as I could do. <laughs> what do you mean as good as you could do? You could have done better. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, you see, <laughs> I, don't think I could have done better. <laughs> listen, listen. There's, somewhere in Britain, Mark Watson is writing these down. These will be on the. These will be on the World Snooker Podcast. <laughs> oh! Don't worry about that. Don't, 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 don't think he's too shy about nicking material. He'll, he'll have this. He'll have this. How many ideas have they stolen from you so far, Dave? <laughs> well, you know, I, I I give and I give, and and you know, it's it's it, yeah. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> There's a lot I could say, but I'm not going to. So let's move on. <laughs> tell us, tell us after we stop recording. Yeah. Um, Phil, back to your very good review of the year. We mentioned him in in um. I can't think of that phrase you use in the acting world now. In uh, anyway, we mentioned him in dispatches. Um. But but I had to say, um, Zhang Ander, I had to say more about that, Phil. I mean, he's just been, I mean, one of the fascinating elements of the game, one of many, many, how guys can have, I love the narrative, by the way, one of the many reasons I've always loved Stuart Bingham, that first half of the career, very, very good first half, but absolutely mind-blowingly good second half. I love that. I'm not saying Zhang Ander's going to do that, but I tell you what, he, he's, he's giving some evidence, Phil, that he might be here to stay because he's been, an absolute delight to watch in recent months. Yeah, unbelievable. It's sad to think of <laughs> another example that's happened, turned around so quickly. And he said um, when he was doing so well in uh, Tianjin that it was just he just felt a lot less pressure, a lot more confidence after that run into the final in Brentwood. And yeah, what a win at the International Championship. It was uh, pretty superb stuff. 
Um, and just from nowhere, like he's ever, he always could show that he's done some stuff. You know, he, he had that weird record where he'd been to the Crucible three times, but never been in the 64, which uh, yeah, takes some doing really to get him through the qualifier, which take, is no mean feat, um, but to do so little elsewhere. Um, so it showed that he had it in his locker somewhere, but it's, it's burst out of that locker quite spectacularly. Um, you know, there's two, was it two wins? No, it's been two wins against Ronnie, not three, I think, um, in recent months. Um, and yeah, just that's a huge title in in the international. And he's kept it up. Um, you know, he came straight back and had that great game with Ding, which he narrowly lost. But then he's been really good since then as well. And I've, I've read a few people saying that he's the kind of person you want to look at at the Crucible because he looks to have that sort of unflappable, um, very calm, nerveless persona, which... I guess he hasn't just developed this year, but we've only started to see it this year. But yeah, an amazing story, and uh, yeah, just very, very impressive. Dave, can you? You're one of the great true judges of the game. How do guys that are that are having sort of fairly prosaic careers suddenly do? I mean, I know confidence is is huge, but it, I just find it such a fascinating part of the game. Well, I think the thing with Zhang Ander is. He's kind of younger than people realise. He's only he's thirty two on Christmas Day actually, so his birthday's coming up. So he's actually younger than, for example, Jack Lazowski, who he's sort of thought of as this young player, but he's actually been around a while. Um, I think, I mean, we've seen players maybe get to finals and then we don't sort of hear from them again. They've sort of reached their ceiling. He got to a final and he could have won. He was seven three up. He didn't do that much wrong to lose. Trump played well to win nine seven at the English Open. It could have gone one of two ways. He either, that's kind of, he's reached his limit then and that's all we're going to see of him. Or he, he uses it as a springboard. For me, what was incredible really about the international championship was how well he played. It wasn't just that he won it. He played unbelievably well. He had the maximum in the final. He beat Ronnie over two sessions in the semi-final. He looked like he'd been a top player for years and he'd gone from 55 in the world when he reached the English final to now he's world number 13 you know, suddenly he's at the Masters, he'll be at the Crucible. All um, I don't know what he's changed necessarily, but I think it says something about him as a personality that he, he took the positives from what could have been a big disappointment losing in that final, the English final, having been in front. He actually thought, no, you know what, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. It didn't happen for me today, but next time it will. And it did within a few weeks. Um, and it shows it can be done as well. That's the thing, you know. The opportunities there, some of the, those lower rank players sometimes complain that, oh, you put tournaments on for the top players and, you know, the system's not great for us. It can happen. He's proved it can happen if you're good enough. And he has produced, you know, his best Stuka now in some massive matches. Good luck to him, you know, he's fantastic. Yeah, no, it really is. And I think that's, I think it's right that he's going to be considered in, in Sheffield if he can keep this going in the second half of the season, which, uh, Shows no sign of slowing up, really. Um, Mark Allen, the champion champions, that was very impressive. Um, Judd Trump looked like he was going to keep his, you know, he, he he lost in the international, but when he when he got through to the final there, um, you know, Trump's ridiculous hot form looked like it was going to continue, but Mark Allen just br- brushed him aside in uh, in the final there, which was remarkable, really, um, because after such an amazing season last time around, he hadn't shown a great deal. He'd actually op- openly said how he was struggling a bit, um, but then to to sort of comfortably beat Higgins in the semi and then Judd in the final, um, that was a spectacular return to form, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I, he's got the very much so. He's got the balance right, I think, Mark. Now you know he's he's still tough, but he's gone back to his sort of natural attacking game as well. Um, and I mean, for some reason, I did fancy him quite strongly in that final. I think the temptation so often is to think, oh, it'll be close because they're evenly matched. But actually, they're so good. Either one of them can win easily. If they get on a roll, Trump could have won easily on another day. Um, yeah, Alan, I thought was very impressive. And obviously at the shootout, then a completely different event. In some ways, it's it's much more unlikely he would win that just because of the nature of it. I mean, no top 16 player had ever won it and he was the top seed. Um, mm. And obviously rode his luck a bit. Um, and, you know, he, he, I think he, he was quite keen to make the point that he had played smart snooker, not necessarily, you know, breaks, but he controlled frames, which I think is true. He did control frames. He played good safety. And then you're in the lap of the gods about what your opponent will do. But I thought he was, you know, he, he'd always been a player I thought could win that shootout because he obviously, I mean, he's a brilliant player, but also he's, he's he can play against the clock and he's a clever player. Um, but at the moment, he's just got that winning mentality as well. Um, and yeah, the, the sort of, the, the future's rosy, I think, for Mark Allen. He's in the sort of prime of his career, isn't he, at the moment? Oh, very much so. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I said on here recently, you know, he'd have a, a brilliant, brilliant career if he never won the world title. But there's one in him. There's one in most of those top guys, obviously. But there, there's one in him. And now he's got that, you know, uh, monkey off his back to some extent of having that very long run in the one just gone. Because he hadn't really got a very good record there at all. But going so close and, you know, nearly making the final, who knows what that, that might do for the next few. Because if really could have... You know, the next sort of five, six, seven, okay, there are lots of great players around, only one can win it. You, you really feel that, you know, this, this is the, maybe the time to, for the, you know, to, to strike for him type thing. We must move on to Ronnie soon, Phil, I reckon. Almost time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's time, the time is now. Yeah, Ronnie has summoned the UK Championship. Um, yeah, but it's just happened. But unbelievable stuff, really. I think didn't really have to hit top form. It reminded me of a sort of 2022 World Championship win um, where he was, you know, beating people without necessarily really hitting peak rocket until the final three frames, the whole thing, which was just, you know, perfect snooker, really. You know, he could could easily have been beaten by Milkins and Joe Yulong. Um, they had great chances to do so. Um, but you can't just keep letting him off the hook because then, um, you know, he beat Hussein pretty easily. Hussein struggled against him. And then it was a great final against Ding, wasn't it? Um, it was. You, you know, you would have fancied Ronnie going into it, but... At seven each, you know, Ding looked really strong. Um, he didn't look like he was suffering any scars from that painful defeat last year. Um, but then that was just typical Ronnie O'Sullivan, wasn't it? Just finding what he had to find when he needed to find it. Um, and yeah, with that, to to come up with that, he does have those bursts in him, obviously, but he just times them so well. And uh, yeah, we said on uh, on the podcast before, like, what a story that is. I don't think it'll get replicated across any sports, really, the the oldest and youngest champion narrative, um, 30 years on the nose, um, such a great tournament. You know, he, he writes these stories for himself in such brilliant ways and for it to happen just after the documentary coming out, which was a huge amount of stress and work for him. You know, he's, he's a man who's used to being in the limelight and being in the public eye for a long, long time. But that was a different kind of it um, to deal with it around around the film. Um and he dealt with it, you know, as well as possible. And, uh, and yeah, just incredible stuff, wasn't it? Incredible to see. 
I don't think I'll ever tire of that line, Dave Hendon, about being the youngest and oldest UK champion. I think I think it's one of the best lines in in all of sport, actually. And Phil Phil Hague was saying, "Oh, you know, has it been done?" The only thing I could think of that the best chance of it being done would be probably in a golf major. Someone like Ty, Tiger, you know, potentially he hasn't done it, but that, you know, or someone like, well, actually Mickelson didn't start winning his majors till late, so not him, but it could be done in that, maybe win in the future. But I, I don't think anything could anything ever better emphasise the, the control this guy's had over this sport than being the youngest at 17 and the oldest at 47. It's, it's perfection for me, that. Yeah, and it's typical, like Phil said, like it was. It wasn't just that; it was the 30th anniversary as well. You know, he was yeah. coming in talking about that, and and also, you know, he he hasn't done it out of nowhere. He was world number one coming in. It's phenomenal, really. And I, and I was again very privileged to be in the arena commentating on the end. Those last three frames, I mean, anyone can win three frames in one visit, but the way he did it and the way the crowd responded—that's really what did it for me. They were in awe. They were so caught up in it and just marvelling at it. And you couldn't help, regardless of whether you're the biggest Ronnie O'Sullivan fan or not, if you're a snooker fan, you could not help but just be in awe yourself watching it. It was an amazing atmosphere. It was kind of different to the seventh world title, which felt like, I mean, obviously his reaction at the end in tears, you know, was very different there. That felt like sort of scaling a mountain because obviously it's such a long event and it's the pinnacle of the sport. This was more joyous, I think. It, Ronnie was happy at the end. It was kind of a real... It was a wonderful occasion. And we saw that in the viewing figures, which were wonderful on, on the BBC and Eurosport. Um, fantastic. It was a fantastic... That probably outside Brussels at the Crucible, the highlight of the year, really. That I thought it was brilliant. It was just a fantastic thing to witness. Good summing up. And actually, we're doing quite well... well Maybe let listen into a secret. We could have about a, a, a two-hour target. We're maybe not doing great on that, but we are. We are. I think what we are doing. But as a completist, I'm pleased that we're hmm. fulfilling every obligation in my mind here. And Kelly Barker, you've teed us up there, Dave. Says about a uh, uh, friend of the podcast, of course, another one for the bingo card. Um, question to each of you: What's been your personal highlight of the snooker year? And do you see snooker continuing to go from strength to strength next year? My highlight's been having China back on the calendar, especially with good crowds at each event and having a full calendar once more. Of course, some things could be improved, but snooker looks to be in a pretty healthy position again. And I, for one, am excited about 2024, especially the annual pilgrimage to the Crucible, as always. Keep up the good work on both podcasts. I never miss an episode of either, and I'm very... uh, Thankful to the three of you for all your efforts covering our great sport, Kelly. One of the great fans, Kelly. Genuinely always lovely to hear from you. And I think you probably answered that it's Ronnie for you, um, Dave. Um, well, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's probably Luke, 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 Luke and, that, and that incredible world final for me. But there's not much in it. Ronnie was wonderful. I, I, I loved when they were shouting out, legend, you're a genius. Yeah. I loved that. Phil, Phil referenced that on here. I thought I was smashing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like I've been fortunate, very fortunate. I commentated on pretty much everything, including the WSD Classic. I even did that. <laughs> um, I think it, the Crucible will always be the first thing you think of, and that was special. Uh, just on a sort of outside of all of that, one of the great personal highlights for me, I went down to Brixham to interview Ray Reardon in the summer, spent a couple of days down there. That was incredible. Ray is 90. And you sort of the knowledge of that. We have such a sort of um, 
particular attitude to the elderly in this country. And and he, I went down there and soon found out he was the sharpest man in the room. He's still physically in great shape, plays golf every day, you know, lives a nice life down there. But mentally as well, really sharp. I spoke to him for two hours. It was a fantastic um, experience. And he he's president of the golf club where we where we met and he has got basically got everyone running wrapped around his little finger i mean they actually had a wake on during that day it was quite sad you know they had the wake on and music playing and he got it all turned down he said oh no we're doing an interview here you're gonna have to turn that down he had everybody in their place a great character unbelievable stories um and it was just a, a very special opportunity you know to spend time with someone like that um and I went down there with, you'll know Sam from World Snooker. He came down to film an interview. And there were the three of us. You've got Ray, who's an elderly man, myself, who's a middle-aged man, Sam as a young man. And we're all brought together because of snooker. We've all got different life experiences and different generations. We're all there for the same reason, spanning the sort of decades. It was it was a great day, actually, really nice. And um, people will find out why I interviewed him in due course. But, yeah, that outside of the actual tournaments, that was probably the highlight for me. And I loved the yeah. way you talked on your podcast about um, how Ray was so welcoming to you and made you, at times oh, yeah. made you the kind of star. Oh, yeah. oh, we could, David Hendon here from Eurosport. Yeah. I love that. But that's yeah. that's old school, you see, because that he's come up in an era where there was no money in tournaments and you had to be a personality and you had to sort of be like that. You know, you had to be the man of the people and, and he did holiday camps and all that stuff. And that's never left him. Uh, he's a proper star. You know, there's certain people, even if you didn't know he was a snooker player, you could just tell by the way he behaved. He's a proper, I mean, you see clips of him on Parkinson, you know, in the 70s and that sort of thing. Yeah, he was like yeah. a proper, you know, Alex Higgins was obviously very important to snooker, but you need those great pros as well who go out there and you can put on a chat show and nothing untoward will go on, you know, he'll just tell good stories. And he's still still telling great stories. And the great thing about it is, a lot of the story, a lot of the people he's talking about are no longer with us, so they can't disprove anything he's saying. So he's telling all these stories about them. <laughs> <laughs> who, knows, who knows if they're true or not? They can't come back and tell us. So you know. <laughs> well, well, two things. First of all, he, he did get us that story about the Alex Higgins final wrong on telly, which we both said. I think, in fact, I think you may have told me he got the scoreline of the frames yeah. wrong. So, yeah. but listen, we'll, we'll we'll forgive him for that, of course. But <laughs> yeah, Bill, what's your highlight of the year? Sorry. I'll just say about Ray as well. He's he always, whenever I see him anywhere on anything, he's immaculately dressed yeah. as well. Yeah. I don't know if that's a generational thing or just as Dave, you mentioned, like he's just sort of a, a star performer at all times, but he's well, never not in such a brilliantly turned out. Well, he was, he was better dressed than myself and Sam, put it that way. He was where he was in a full suit <laughs> and, you, you know, he was, yeah, he was proper, proper, you see, it's old school. It's old school. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I rarely see Sam without his WST sweatshirt on, so <laughs> at least he's got the branding right, if it's not the yeah, style. True. <laughs> um, my highlight, I mean, I guess you could have a whole tournament as a highlight, but I just the World Championship is always just the massive highlight for me because um, I get to tournaments as and when I can. It's usually an odd day here and there, but the World Championship, being in the city I live in, is the one I get to go to, yeah, all 17 days, plus the qualifiers. It's when you get to meet all these people that you sort of, engage with over the year through the podcast or through social media uh in the pub or just roundabouts in the streets you know there's a special podcast we do nick with the guys in tudor square um and just the whole thing is just a really um brilliant experience i love it it's so hard it's so hard work in some ways such long hours um 
my girlfriend sort of loses my, her mind with me throughout because I'm just like, I'm around, but I'm not really around because um, it's snooker sort of 20 hours a day. Uh, but I absolutely love it. And uh, as soon as it's over, you're sort of wishing it was carrying on. So uh, that's that's the highlight of most years. And just as we said, it was such an amazing tournament this year. It really was a standout. So, yeah, um, sort of an obvious one, but that was my highlight. That's lovely. Of course, we should point out on a, on a snooker, I think it will be remiss of us not to say, I don't think anyone said it yet, but of course, Ray made a century recently. Yeah. Ray reared and made a century, which is absolutely brilliant. Little tea up from us, uh, Phil. Quite a few months, I know, but it'll still tick, it'll tick around quite quickly. We've got the Watersons joining us, haven't we? Mark and Ryan from Sheffield, of course, who will tell us all about the late Mike Watterson, of course, and how important he was and in, in the sort of history of, the, of that championship. So we really look forward to that. And I think, as you said, I've heard you say this before, Dave, the, the thing about the World Championship is there's, lo- there's so many events in sport, we know because we work in the industry, everything's a super Sunday now and a magic Monday. Some of them aren't. A lot of them are. Some of them aren't. But the World Championship, we spend all year hyping it up. You think, oh, are we overhyping this? No, we're not. We're hyping it up to the appropriate degree. Because when it comes, it's brilliant. The Ryder Cup's another one that reminds me of that. I love things. You hype up, and then you think, no, that was the right amount of hype, which I really like. Totally, yeah. Absolutely. It, it's You know, it's always... It's an unchanging tournament. We know the format's weird. We know that there are days when it doesn't seem like there's much happening. But it all builds towards something. That's the thing. It's building towards something. And, of course, what it's ultimately building towards is the, 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 the greatest achievement for any player to win it. It just is. And some have won it more than once, and they're building on a legacy. Some, you know, I was to, I was at dinner with Joe Johnson the other night, and he I was asking him about, you know, the the, the, the obviously again the eighty six, which he doesn't volunteer. You know, he doesn't sort of just talk about of his own volition. If you ask him about it, he'll talk about it. And he was saying like literally all the great experiences he's had since have come from it because he wasn't a well known player. He hadn't won anything else. He may have if he'd have lost that final, he may have drifted into obscurity. In fact, he's become a commentator, he's become a you know just a well-known personality in the sport, all from that one event. And of course, he won it in the middle of the eighties, which was, uh, you know, I guess because of the TV landscape, an even bigger thing to do. But yeah, it, it's the pinnacle, and and, and you're right. You, you, we do build it up, but we're right to because it's because it's big, <laughs> it's big. And it, and 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 I actually spoke to someone the other day who came over to the UK Championship from Canada, and he's. There's an email on my, on my latest podcast um, that I read out that he wrote in. And he actually said, I said, are you going to come to the Crucible? And he actually said, I'd actually be nervous coming. It almost feels too big to come to the Crucible. It's like in people's mind, it's such a big deal. It's almost like, it's almost too much for people. It's become, because of the history and just the the, the, the legacy of it, like such a big deal. And and I think it's important for the likes of us who we can get in for nothing you know, to remember that really. It's it, it, like Kelly Barker, you mentioned there. I mean, she comes every year. She saves up during the year, doesn't she? She works extra, yeah. extra shifts to pay for it. Yeah. Cheap now. Yeah. And that's great. You know, that, that just shows you how special it is to people. Absolutely. And, and not cheap is an understatement. It costs thousands now. It costs yeah. Kelly and Chris down a thousands, thousands of pounds. And you're right. And they, not just them, many people, they they actually forsake holiday. I mean, it is their holiday, you know, of, of that part of the year. I'm not saying it's their only holiday, but for some people, they make that, you know, that word I love, one of the many words I love, almost as much as I like the word gravitational, the word pilgrimage. And the, and that's what I love about the World Charity, not just a trip or a visit, it's a pilgrimage. And, uh, yeah, may it always be like that. Um, should we 
maybe another sort of quick ad. The Ronnie documentary was sort of extraordinary, wasn't it? I mean, Rick Broadbrent um, from a newspaper I work for, the Times of London, said it was up there with the Senna and Maradona documentaries. I mean, that's high praise, but it did feel it was that kind of calibre of sports documentary. And, you know, it, it reminded me of a lot of things, really. Ronnie's own mental health struggles, first and foremost, of course, and the, the huge ups and downs of his incredible life, but just also the pressures everyone's under, Phil, in, in what is such a, a singular sport. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It was it was stunning, really. And, you know, we, we have been waiting for it for so long. You know, there's a lot of hype. You know, we've been expecting it for a good a good while and uh, didn't let us down. Um, yeah, I saw Ian Wright, who we saw at the, at the premiere. He was saying on... I don't know if you saw he did the uh, did, Sky Sports did. overlap thing with uh, where Ronnie was on with Gary Neville and Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher. And Ryan was saying it's the, it might be the best sports documentary he's seen as well. Um, and on a different point, you know, that that has been great exposure to have Ronnie on stuff like that. A huge viewership of things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's great for snooker. But um, yeah, no, I thought it was fascinating. It was, uh, it wasn't, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew they were... Uh, the crew was following him round uh, up to that tournament, and then obviously closely at the World Championship. But it was so much more than just um, a film crew following a snooker player around a snooker tournament, wasn't it? So um, I'm sure everyone who's listened to this has watched it already, but if you haven't, then definitely do, because um, it's a fascinating insight. And yeah, obviously into the mind of Ronnie O'Sullivan, but you're right, Nick, in saying that it's not just Ronnie that deals with those kind of pressures. He deals with them in a unique way, because he is who he is. Um, but it shows the intensity of the game and what it does to people. Um, and, yeah, again, people who listen to this will have a lot of respect for snooker players, but that will hammer it home, I'm sure. Yeah. Was it as good as you were expecting, Dave? Was it even better? It was... It, well, what I was worried about was that it would be sort of sanitised, and it wasn't at all. It was the opposite. It was very sort of raw. I think it captured Ronnie as he is, for good and bad, actually. Um it also captured the sort of the isolation of the circuit, really. There is a lot of hotels and time on your own and time to dwell on things. And, you know, there's a lot of that, really. It's not a, it's not a sort of glamorous. The rewards are glamorous. Getting the prize money and the trophy and the acclaim is glamorous. But that's about 2% of the time. The rest of it is yeah. driving to a venue or getting the plane somewhere, checking into the hotel, you might have a whole day before you play, you practice, you're in the players' room. It, it's very kind of prosaic, really. And I think it captured that. I thought the, the really fascinating stuff was the World Championship, obviously, because he ended up winning it. But just seeing, like, sat in the crew's dressing room, what he was talking about there. And, yeah, and, and sort of saying, he said at one point, like, he felt like he was in sort of jail. He was looking out the window and he's saying, all these people, oh, are, going, all these people are going about their lives and I'm stuck in oh, here. Because he's stuck in there with a chance to win half a million. So it's this funny yeah. kind of jail in a way. But you could sort of understand what he was saying. Like, he's putting himself through something that maybe he doesn't need to, while he could just be out there having a normal life. Um, but one, the most interesting thing for me, well, apart from the Trump hug, which was unbelievable, I thought, he said at one point about sort of his career and when it might come to an end. And he actually, I can't remember exactly what he, what he said, but paraphrasing, he said, do I have what it takes to step into the real world? In other words, he's sort of anchored by snooker. Does he have what it takes to cut himself free and not have that in his life? What would he be then? How would he, what would he do? It's That would be a big risk. And that's why he's carried on ultimately, all the threats to retire and all the rest of it. 
have not come to anything because snooker does run through him. And it would be a big step to not have that in his life. I thought that was really interesting. And and Ronnie, whatever you think of Ronnie, like he so, he speaks so much from the heart when he when he talks about stuff, and that came across really well. And it wasn't all sanitized; it was very kind of raw. And I think it, I think it is a really good documentary, yeah, and, and and really worth waiting for, certainly. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It, it really was something else. And I'm really glad you mentioned the jail. I'm a bit annoyed that hasn't been more made of that. I love that as an analogy. I'm pretty sure I said that on here, but I love the way they filmed that. They made it look like it was almost prison walls and prison yeah. windows. Yeah. And I thought that was brilliant because, I mean, well, you spent, tend to spend that longer than us there, Dave. But I mean, there's that slight element to it, isn't there, for everybody? It's almost like, Get me out of here. This is magic, this tournament, but this place is a bit much. Well, it, it, it's, yeah, it's a bubble. I mean, it, yeah. you're in a bubble. You're, you're there constantly talking about the snooker. Um, you're sort of vaguely aware of other things happening, but you're essentially, you're just thinking all the time about that world championship. And you kind of, you've got to realise that even in Sheffield, a lot of people couldn't care less about it. But to us, it's the the only thing that matters for that, for that month, you know. Um yeah, it was good, and and it will do well for snooker, definitely. You know, and the fact that he then won the UK off the back of it is even better, isn't it? You know, great for the film, and great for him, and great for the sport. It was, it was classic, Ronnie. Yeah, I remember Phil saying on here, you know, after the world won in twenty two, he's not saying he won it because of the cameras, but you're almost not not saying that he he would win it when they're there. In the same way, he would win the UK just when he's the absolute focus of the sporting world. And he's still the only one that can cut across. I mean, it made me think about Joe Johnson, of course, um, Dave, that he was on Wogan. That's one for the teenagers. Well, I mean, that... he, sorry, Nick, he actually said, this is true, the chat we had the other night, he actually said, in the end, he had to turn Terry Wogan down. He said he kept, they kept ringing him because he... he oh, was it Dennis Taylor, sorry, I'm thinking of. No, no, Joe, he said he'd been on Wogan a few times and he, oh, yeah. he was, he, he'd gone down well as a guest, so they kept inviting him back. And in the end... Oh, he, right. In the end, he said it was getting a bit of a nuisance because he'd have to travel down to London. So, Because <laughs> the Wogan show, it was like the one show, basically. It was on three times a week, seven o'clock. Oh. And obviously, they had a, quite a turnover of guests. And in the end, he said, I had to say no to Terry Wogan because he was just taking up too much time. <laughs> <laughs> what a line. Absolute sign of the cross from me. Yeah. Joe, I mean, just for those that aren't old, Terry Wogan, that was a huge show, really. Live at seven o'clock on the BBC, as Dave says, three nights a week. Joe Johnson said no to Terry Wogan. That's the line I'll be going to bed with. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. One more piece of correspondence from Richard Perrins. And we've done it all. Long-time snooker fan here and recent fan of the podcast. Despite having loved snooker for years, I've never seen it live before. I've resolved that by getting tickets for the Masters semis. Anyway, my question, who do, who do each of you think is going to win the World Championship next year? One name. Thanks, Richard. I, I, I think it's a bit of a half a lottery saying it now because there's so much more, more snooker to be played. So, But maybe it's interesting because... I, I have an know. answer. I have an answer. Oh, go on then. Mark Allen. I think Mark Allen has the Ooh. best chance he's ever had to win it. I think he's found the right balance in his game. I think he's got the confidence and I think this is his time. Now, obviously, we don't know the draw. We don't know who he'll play, blah, blah, blah. But he's my tip going into next year, Mark Allen. Wow. I think because we haven't seen an immense amount of Selby, I'll probably go Selby. Bill Hay. <laughs> you know, before... <laughs> I was leaning towards Allen before Dave said it, to be honest. But I won't go with him. Who would I go for? 
Well, I mean, it, I, I'm not sticking with this. I'll change this by the time April rolls around. But I'll go with Judd Trump. He's going to win it more than once in the future. And why not uh, next year? So, yeah, I'll go with Judd. I'll tell you what I bloody love. I, I love Robertson. By the way, good good Robertson story, the Melbourne Age newspaper, by the way. Um, I saw that. Um, I love Robertson to do really well. I know we shouldn't have our favourites, but, you know, totally written off. Oh, Neil can't do this, can't do that. You know, the one year when no one expects anything from him, probably have a great run. We'll, we'll see. Well, he'll probably, probably have to qualify um, the way he stands. So imagine, yeah, true. Like, imagine the draw, like waiting for the draw. If he if he gets to the qualifying, which oh, he's yeah. guaranteed to do, but if he did, who would he draw in round one? I mean, that is like the ultimate kind of grenade right. thrown into the first round, isn't it? You know? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a bit like whether you get ding, isn't it? That's horrible, really. Rob Walker, uh, Rob Walker will spontaneously combust when that comes out because he gets excited by draws anyway. But the, the, the chance of Neil Robertson, Ronnie O'Sullivan or something, that could finish Rob off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What should we say about Rob Walker? Um, <laughs> he, he, he disappeared for about, well, we know that, don't we, Phil? A good, only about four. It's only right. It's only about forty minutes. It was all right. <laughs> now, both Phil and I are a bit under the weather. We really feel like we must finish soon, and we'll do that maybe with our recommendations, which is a bit of a tradition. And maybe we should say, "You are listening here to the Joint Snooker Podcast Christmas Special with David Hendon, Phil Haig, and Nick Metcalf." Right, eeny meeny miny mo. Who wants to go first for the recommendations then? Um, maybe, maybe I should, because I feel a bit bad to pass it on otherwise. And have I got the list here? I'm pretty sure I've written them down. Uh, let me see now. I'm pretty sure I have. Yes, I have. Right. I haven't got too many. I've got, um, I'm a bit more of a telly man than anything else. Um, Succession. Loved it. We're not allowed to say that it's based on the Murdoch family for legal reasons, but they won't listen to this, so it very clearly is. Um, brilliant television, um, pop culture television, really. Uh, and a few people have told me, actually, it's about four or five years I think it ran for. The great thing is, watch the whole thing anyway, if you haven't, it's really good. It's really outstanding, actually. But if you go back to the start now, having known the end, there are apparently some really brilliant clues early on, which I love that element to it. So that's apparently worth doing. Um those are great characters. I think my favourite is probably Roman Roy, played superbly by Kieran Culkin. But there's so many, many good characters. Really enjoyed Colin from Accounts on the BBC. That's on the iPlayer. Really, really funny um, uh, television from Australia. Some good television from Australia lately, actually. I'm not quite sure what's going on down there. But um, this was really good. Two people brought together by an unlikely car accident and an injured dog. They name Colin. And it stars real-life husband and wife Patrick Bramall and uh, Harriet Dyer. And there's going to be a second series of that, hopefully in 24. So look out for that. Really funny, actually. Books, uh, or book, actually, in my case, uh, from Nuruddin Chowdhury, a book called Inshallah United, a story of faith and football. And this was one of those that was listed on the, I think it didn't get in the short list of the William Hill Sports Book of the Year, the awards I went to recently. It was certainly on the long list. Uh, the story of a young working-class Manchester United supporter growing up in the 80s and 90s. Loads of football stuff and about how, you know, our, our national game has changed dramatically. I'm sure many football fans will know that over the last sort of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, the landscape of the game's changed. There's loads about that, but also about living as a devout Muslim and living in a 
in, in Manchester growing up in that time. Really strong book, one I think you'll enjoy reading at any time, but a really good one to settle down with over the festive period. And I've got to say, I've got to say, if you're a fan of comedy, go and see the Ken Dodd exhibition. It's on until March. The highlight of my year, the best, best night of the year, no doubt, was meeting Bernie Clifton there and Ricky Tomlinson and others until March. Um, the, people will know about Ken, of course, and his amazing career. But the great thing is, Sir Ken, there are extracts from his own notebooks there, which he did tell his uh, wife, Anne, widow now of, of, of Sir Ken, to destroy the notebooks, to burn them, to to to, to not put them on public display. She, I say, she has gone against his wishes. She does explain that she thinks they're they're vital. They're part of British cultural history. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there, um, very private stuff from Ken. Talks about uh, you know his career, very critical at times, very thoughtful. Talks about his act, his amazing act. They went on for hours. And how sometimes he'd go on too long and he knows that he could be selfish. And it's really fascinating to see that. If you love comedy and entertainment, that's a real good thing to see. And um, that's that's it. That's all for me. So take it away. <laughs> Dave, do you want to go? Well, yeah, Ken Dodd. My dad told an anecdote about him. It's the worst anecdote ever, which I'll repeat now. <laughs> um, he was on the telly years ago when I was young. And Ken Dodd, this is not my dad. And um, my dad said, oh, I met, I, I met him once. I, I met him in the swim baths years ago. Oh, he met Ken Dodd. What was he like? Oh, I never spoke to him. Well, you didn't meet him then, did you? You just saw him in the swimming pool. That was literally the anecdote. I saw him in the swimming pool. <laughs> that's great stuff. It's, that's but, where it begins and ends, as an anecdote. Well, the many great things about Ken is, when, I went there twice this year, the exhibition, once in September, once very recently, actually, last month. Literally, almost everybody in Liverpool has a Ken Dodd story. You know, you, you talk to people, they all either saw Ken at their school they'd seen him in the street. And the thing is, I saw Ken a couple of times in life, you know, he would just tell jokes. You talk about old school. You'd think after three or four hours show, he'd come backstage and he wouldn't be a bit quiet. Like No, he'd, just, he'd tell jokes like he was still on stage. He never stopped telling jokes. So everyone in Liverpool would say, yeah, I saw Ken. He told me a ridiculous joke, you know, and of course he did. You know, and that, that's just who he was, a unique performer. My reckon, I've got three. I'll do the first two quickly. Podcast, The News Agents, which is a daily... It's a news podcast. Uh, John Sopel, Emily Maitlis and Lewis Goodall. But they they sort of take a deep dive into sort of the, one of the main stories of the day. And what I like about it is they don't attempt to balance it pointlessly. So they don't sort of... It's not like on the one hand this, on the other hand that. They will get an expert on. So they did one on the, 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 the case against Mirror Group newspapers the other day about phone hacking Prince Harry, the case he brought... They got a former Mirror journalist in to talk about it, who was there when it all happened, and he admitted he'd been part of it, and 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 just explaining what happened behind it, rather than feeling the need to then get someone on to deny it all. Um, one of the things I hate about the news is vox pops. So you'll go, there'll be some sort of story, or maybe the budget or something, and 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 they'll say, well, opinion on the streets of Portsmouth was divided today, and they'll they'll show a clip of one of one bloke saying one thing and a woman saying the opposite. And they'll say, that's their idea of balance. Whereas actually they may have stopped 100 people. 99 may have said one thing and one may have said the other, but they'll always show the two sides and that's their idea of balance. But on this podcast, they don't do that. They just try and explain what's happened and they'll get experts on to, to talk about it. And it's, I find it really interesting and quite informative. I find it more informative actually than watching the news. Uh, TV, there's a series called Poker Face, which is available on Sky. It's the modern Columbo, basically. It's the same format, very much a, a homage to Columbo. People remember that. So 
unusually for a detective show, you see the crime at the start, you see who did it, and then someone has to work out who did it and why they did it. And there's this woman who is she's not a detective, but she she has a sort of superpower where she can she instantly knows if someone's lying. Now that's quite convenient, obviously, but but it kind of works. It's very tongue in cheek. Um, and there's a sort of through line. She's being chased by gangsters. It's very, very enjoyable. Ryan Johnson is behind it. He did um, the uh, I've forgotten what it's called. The um, the Daniel Craig. Uh, it'll come to me. There's two films. It's a detective film. Um, uh, Glass, on- Glass Onion is it? Knives Out. Oh yeah, Knives Out. Sorry, yeah, Knives yeah. Out. Um, and it's so it's from the guy behind that, and it's just really fun. It's not worthy. It's not going to win Emmys or anything like that, but it's just fun, and I thought it's very much like Columbo. When I was growing up, Sunday afternoon, it was either a big snooker final or Columbo on the telly, and <laughs> this is the modern day. And actually, if you it, even like the, the titles at the start are in the same, it looks like a 70s show. It's very deliberate. And a, a film this year, I do enjoy films, um, there's a Korean film called Past Lives, which I think, Nick, you would love if you've not seen it. I think you would love it because it's very much about sort of nostalgia um, and the, the clues in the name. It's a Korean film by uh, Celine Song. And essentially the storyline is there's these two kids growing up in Korea, a boy and a girl, and she emigrates to Canada. So they're kind of, he's interested in her, but nothing really happens, but they sort of knock around together. She emigrates to Canada, later moves to America. 12 years after moving she sort of thinks about him and, and decides to sort of look him up. Is he on Facebook? And she finds out, she finds him on Facebook and she sees that actually he's been looking for her. So they connect on Skype and they have a couple of conversations, but they're in different parts of the world. It doesn't sort of go anywhere and they lose touch again. And then 12 years after that, so 24 years after they were kids in Korea, he comes to America to see her. First time they've met for over two decades. By now she's living with an American man and they get together and they they talk and they go out, all three of them, and it's a bit awkward because three's a crowd. And it's essentially it's about the sort of the choices that we have made and the choices that we haven't made. The, the clues in the name past lives. What if she'd have stayed in Korea? Would would they be married now? Would they have got together? Maybe it wouldn't have worked. Um, he's been thinking about her for twenty four years. He's never settled down with anybody else. He's he, you know he's but he can't be with her now because she's with, she's with someone else. There's a scene towards the end where. No, uh, they're waiting for an Uber and they don't speak for about 30 seconds and yet everything, they say everything at the same time. They're looking at each other and all the sort of, all their past is there on show. It's a wonderful, wonderful film and my prediction is it will definitely be up for Best Picture at the Oscars and I think a lot of people will be talking about it around that time. It's called Past Lives. It's a really lovely, interesting film, particularly... I think if you're kind of maybe into your 40s and you're looking back at choices that you did make, choices that you didn't make, it's it's all there, basically. And I think it's it's a wonderful film. It's it's partly in Korean and partly in English, the subtitles as well, obviously. Fantastic. Well, um, I'm going to, I think I did this last year as well, embarrass myself with my lack of film <laughs> um, standing. I think last year the only film I'd seen of 2022 was Jackass. <laughs> and this year, the only film I've seen of 2023 is Barbie. So oh. I've not really improved my film standing after the great film knowledge of Dave Hendon, but not so much of a film guy. But I'll go down some different routes. Um, I've seen some just tremendous live comedy this year. Um, that's one of my favourite things to do, go and see stand-up. 
Um, and these guys aren't new guys, but they're just three of the best I've ever seen. I saw them all this year. Tim Key, David O'Doherty and Paul Foote I all saw this year. And if you ever get a chance to see any of those three guys, you will not regret it. Um, TV, we've watched a lot of The Boys recently. I don't know if you've seen much of that. Um, no. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, it seemed like my kind of thing. It's sort of superhero, but it's sort of black comedy superhero uh, where there's it's in America and there's a, there's a lot of them superheroes knocking around but they're all sort of normal people who are who do not use their superhero powers for the right ways it's quite bleak in some ways but quite funny in other ways um would recommend that uh i enjoyed the last of us at the start of the year which mm-hmm. is that um based on a computer game which i hadn't played but um but that was good there was one episode especially which got a lot of plaudits um uh i won't go into it too much but that whole series is very good um in my now traditional annual heavy metal recommendations. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite bands, Rivers of Nihil, have not had a new album. They've had two singles in recent months, which suggests a new album is coming at the start of next year. I went up to Leeds to see them a couple of weeks ago, and they were fantastic. Um, Isan have done the same as well. They've got a new album in January, but they've got a couple of singles out at the minute. He's the singer from um, one of the great Norwegian black metal bands, Emperor. Um, but his and there are so many. There are, there are so many. You know. <laughs> there are actually. There are <laughs> quite a scene. Um, I think in terms of albums from this year, Green Lung have got the best one. Maybe they've got a very good album. And an Australian band who I've only just recently started listening to called Ne Obliscaris, which means "Do not forget" in Latin. But they're sort of prog metal, um, which is very fun. Um, and then books. I thought I'd use this to do a little bit of personal news because I've been reading a lot of pregnancy books because me and my better half are expecting our first child in the new year. Wow. Wow. Um, So a lot of my reading has been around that recently. So not till June, but that's... uh, I thought I'd save a little bit of good news for the end of this special. Well, what about that? We've ended on a high. Started on a low, we've ended on a high. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. That's amazing news, Colonel. Yeah, well done. First time I've ever called you Colonel on the podcast, and it felt like the right, <laughs> felt like the right moment to do that. Wonderful news. But say, um, you know, to your to your good other half as well, that we're, we're delighted for you. All listeners will be too. Thank you very much. Yeah, as I say, not till June, so way to go. But, um, yeah, exciting. I, I don't know how to follow that. I'm... You know, I, I'm not normally lost for words, Dave, and you're never lost for words. <laughs> well, no, that's, it, it's, you see, that's Christmas is traditionally about well, it's traditionally about births, actually, um, but um, <laughs> but it's traditionally about sort of warm feelings, and I think that's what we've got out of this. I've been drinking, so that might explain that. But that that news was good as well, and uh, I think we're sort of wrapping up. So I I, I want to oh. say congratulations to you two for the podcast. You've had some great guests this year. Um, Stan Moody was really good on it, wasn't he? You know, he was only only seventeen. I thought he spoke really well. Um, quite interesting. It'd be interesting to hear that again in a few years, maybe if he's if he has progressed, what he thinks about what he said at the time, maybe. Um, and also, I think we should acknowledge, you know, the other podcasts as well that are all doing good work. Shabnam does terrific work on on Framed. Obviously, Phil and Sean, Will Snooker Tour have relaunched their uh, podcast with Stephen Hendry, which is, I think is, is, is has been successful. And and there are others as well. Obviously, there's, I know there's in different languages that maybe we don't listen to, but anyone doing one, keep going because it's it's all good for snooker fans. And 
thanks to all the listeners and, and people who correspond and people who run into us in the graduate and, and other places. It's uh, you know, it, it is a community. It's a, it's a big sport, but it's kind of, it's one of the few sports, possibly the only one where at our biggest event, you, you know, the names of half the people in the audience, you know, Oh, there's Brian and there's, there's Chris and there's Kelly, you know, it's like, that's that, that and that's good. That's great because it is, it's a nice community, I think. Yeah. I'm into that really. And uh, no, you're, you're quite right. And that, you know, that, the audio service is blessed now. There are some brilliant podcasts out there. They really are. I mean, Shadnam's had some absolutely marvellous guests, a great variety as well. She really has delved into all areas of the games, the biggest possible names, the up-and-coming names, the, the lesser-seen characters that are a bit of the unsung heroes of tournaments, absolute brilliant cross-section of characters she's had on. And, of course, you know, Phil and Sean you know, always so entertaining, aren't they, really? Or, you know, they're larger-than-life characters, aren't they? And that sort of comes over on their pod. There's always sort of something of interest there, There's, you know, whether it's Sean having a rant or, you know, some of Phil's ideas as well. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a not, not, not a time for it now, but fully in agreement with him that we should have a proper team event in snooker. So I'm very much team Phil on that one. And uh, I think Snooker Podcast is one as well, a comedy podcast that, that, that sometimes... <laughs> Is around there. It's a big one in Germany, as you say, Dave. And uh, yeah, the WST podcast, which, uh, yeah, with Stephen Hendry and Mark Watson, which, uh, yeah, is, is back on the scene. So loads to listen to. But we've got to say to you, Dave, as well, uh, and a, couple of, there are a couple of fan ones have cropped up as well. I remember saying to a couple of them, I always think the biggest achievement, it sounds like I'm almost doing it down here. Obviously, we want we want all our podcasts to be good. That should go without saying. But I almost think the biggest thing is just getting it out there. <laughs> every week or every couple of weeks. And I really mean that because it's a real achievement. And I feel like we're quite deep into our pod lives in, in a fourth year, uh, Phil Haig. But you, Dave, sniffing a decade, I mean, it's it's quite something. And it's been different, you know, it, 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 phases, haven't you, had really, with Michael. You've had more, well, you had a lot of guests, wasn't it, early on, but you've mostly spoken to everyone. So now you you just sort of do it as yourself. And, you know, to keep the inspiration going and, you know, to... For, for year after year is it you know hats off to you it's a it's a real achievement isn't it phil absolutely yeah and uh it's it's must listen every week uh as as often as you say that this one's no good uh <laughs> we always think it is good so yeah we're um i'll speak for most snooker fans i think to say that we're very grateful uh for all the work you do um and yeah and i'll i'll echo what you've said about the other guys it's really good stuff um and yeah, the, I, I didn't know how long Shabnam was planning to do Frame when she started, and I've been delighted to see how long it's been going for. Um, you know, Sean uses his voice so well for his. You know, that's the that's the bonus of having a player doing it is that it sort of transfers across wider media. Um, and I think he's made points about sort of oh oh I always say things and they get headlines, but that's good. Um, you know, if they can sort of echo across um, uh, the the wider internet, as it were, and that's what. Stephen Hendry's YouTube channel is so good for her as well. So I think, you know, there's always lots more can be done. But I think snooker across various platforms is in pretty good shape at the minute. More to do, of course. Um, but, um, yeah, it's not too shabby. Yeah. And, and if I, Yeah. No, I was saying if I could blow her own trumpet a bit, not ours, but the podcast world. We do make the news quite a lot. Bit, bit Shabnam, someone will say something. And of course, you know, there's a certain power behind the BBC, but that'll become a big story across all the media. Sean and Phil regularly making the news. I'd say we, 
we're not we're no strangers to the news ourselves. We had John Higgins here, it made loads of news stories, and that's great, you know. And it says something for podcasts in general, doesn't it, Dave? I think that you know, that you know, we joke about Jake Humphrey inventing them, of course, but they, they they're actually years old now. They're two decades old, but they, they they are they have come into their own probably in the last I don't know half a decade in terms of being absolutely huge, and they're they're not seen as the um, they never really have probably, but they're not seen as like you know, a new thing or a lesser relation. I think they're seen as really significant now. And I think the fact they make the news so often is kind of testament to that. I think that they've, they've become part of the, the sport, actually, in a way. They're part of the, the sort of noise around the sport. And and I think just sort of to wrap up from me, you know, I think we go into the 2024. I'm feeling positive about snooker. There are things that need to be sorted out. We've not even mentioned the scoring system and all that business. That, that hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, will resolve itself. But I feel positive. Here's the thing, Nick, and you you would understand what I'm saying here tonight. I went on the BBC website and I noticed on the red button only it was the Horse of the Year show. Right now, the Horse of the Year show that used to be huge on British television. (laughs) David Vine, snooker presenter, used to present it. That was a mainstay of the schedules. Now it's not on main telly. It's on the red button. BBC though will show well 34 days of live snooker a year. That's amazing, really, in this day and age. It's live on ITV, Eurosport, Discovery Plus, all the different platforms that you can see snooker on around the world. So we get in front of a lot of eyeballs through prominent sort of TV coverage. I mean, DMAX, which is a channel I wasn't that familiar with until recently, they're showing the home nations, which is Freeview in the UK. So we we are still high profile. And I think sometimes we don't do enough to sort of celebrate how well how well we're kind of doing, you know, obviously there's always, we can always do better and we can always achieve more, but we're, we're, we're high up the pecking order actually. And, it, and it's incumbent on everybody in the sport, journalists, players, obviously administrators and fans, I think to maybe sort of, you know, celebrate the sport a little bit more and, and sort of, you know, um, evangelize a little bit more maybe, but that's hopefully what we do on these podcasts, I guess. I think that's right. And just to mention about the very sort of, books or maybe you, you might want to take some of our recommendations for the festive period or for new year i'd forgotten to say this john skillbeck was in contact with me his book goody two shoes is now available you yeah. can get that book and the reason that came into my mind dave is because you mentioned show jumping and i distinctly remember because i spoke to john for that book there are a few examples of sports and i'm fascinated by sports that were once big I think that's the ultimate one. I think show jumping is the ultimate one. That was a huge staple of British television, not just Horse of the Year show, but Olympia, other events that you have the outdoors in Burley. That, you know, the sport of show jumping and that business was such a big deal. You're right, David Vine, prime time, BBC One. The days when they used to have news at nine o'clock, it would be put on at 9.30. You'd have 90 minutes of show jumping. Unbelievable. If it's on now, you'd you'd think you're having hallucinations. It would never happen. And yet that was on, and it just shows, you know. People are like, oh, snooker's not on. I was having a look at some schedules for the Masters. Again, I think it's going to be on BBC Four this year, looking at some of the schedules in the evening. Okay, not every single ball will be on network television, but an awful lot of balls will be. You know, the whole of the afternoon will be. All the quarterfinals pretty much will be on two and four. So, yeah, listen, things could be better, but, you know, we we do okay, Phil. And uh, no matter what we do, no matter what we do on these specials, our attempts to keep it to two hours (laughs) are as futile as anything you could ever imagine. It's always three. It's just always three, Phil Haig. 
Yeah, to be fair, I made the request for two hours because I've been pretty unwell the last two days. I start I started this record with um a lem sip, a glass of wine, a Bailey's, and a <laughs> glass of water in front of me. Uh, they're all gone long ago. But I, I feel much better for it. So maybe maybe it's good to just power through. Um and my coughing has not been too bad actually. I've not had to go on mute too much. So no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um hopefully everyone's enjoyed it because uh, I'm sure all three of us have. I certainly have. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, already looking forward to next year. Um, yeah, we've achieved a lot. We had the quiz. Uh, we had the jokes. Uh, we had the triple crown discussion. <laughs> and, and you know, various references to old comedians and, and a Norwegian death metal band. So what, what more do you need at Christmas? You know? Well, my, me- my memory's going. I'm already, I'm already forgotten who won the quiz. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> come on one this of the great all, one of the great come ons there all I'll say is I'll, and I'll leave you on this 2024 will be the year of Potter or Notter you wait it'll take off it'll take off and I'm going to license it now Richard Osman will be snipping around it I'm going to license it now you wait Sky Television they'll all be bidding for it yeah nearly car park. <laughs> nearly nearly everything you've done has been a ratings winner Winner day, not not quite everything. A couple yeah. have fallen by the wayside, but yeah. nearly everything you've done. Has been well, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody out there, and of course, you know, you can listen to us any time across the festive period. Thanks for joining us, um, Phil. I feel that maybe we, should we do goodbye bye together again? I don't know. That feels like we should. We've done most of the bingo cards, you know. I don't, I'm not sure I'm missing much, but goodbye. Let me down. They've been incredibly quiet this week, and the connection's been okay, which is a turn up in three hours. <laughs> are we doing? Are we doing goodbye bye on one two three? I think we must do, and then we'll just say. See you all soon. We've got our review of the year again next week. We're back in the new year for the Masters. When are you back, Dave? I'll be back. In, yeah, I'll be back just before the Masters. So, uh, But the, the back catalogue is always there if you've got nothing else to do um, or you want to <laughs> torment a neighbour or a friend. It's always there. <laughs> That's Dave Henry from the Snooker Scene and Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf here from Talking Snooker. And I think we're going to go with a good bye-bye to finally end this ludicrously uh, marathon festive special. So one, two, three. Goodbye, bye. Goodbye, bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.